Uh, recording now. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Millsrap World Podcast. I'm your host today, Danny, and we're joined by uh, Aaron, Jared, and a special guest, Michael. If you'd like to say hello, fellas. Hi, fellas. Hello. Hey, everybody. Nice. So uh, Michael is our guest. Michael is a, a Patreon member who joined the Discord, and he was on the list. And uh, I'm whittling through that list uh, one, one person at a time here. I know it's been a while since we've had, a, had our last podcast. I'm not sure what number this is, 40-something. It's in the high 40s. I'd have to look and see. But, uh, yeah, today's topic is pretty interesting. I think it's, we're going to dive into kind of the nitty-gritty into it pretty, 47, uh, pretty yeah. good. 47, nice. We're just talking about the AK. AK first. Okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking into the nitty-gritty of uh, sort of gun finance, personal finance as far as guns when it goes. Uh, Michael is going to kind of lead the way with a lot of that. I'm going to let him kind of drive a bit. Uh, but before we get into that, Michael, we have to ask you the questions. Um, how did you get into Millsurp, and what was your first Millsurp? Yeah, well, first off, thanks uh, thanks so much, guys, for having me on. I've uh, uh, been a fan of your show since I started collecting, which was back in October of 21. So I haven't been into it that long, and I was going to go to a gun show, and I just Googled, uh, like, what do you do at a gun show? And Danny, your video uh, about what to do popped cool. up. So yeah. started that and just, like, started binging after that. Um so how did I get into Millsurps? Uh, so I grew up, I think like a lot of folks in the early 2000s, love video games, Call of Duty and Medal of Honor and all that good stuff. Um, but I've always really enjoyed swords and watching uh, Tales of the Gun on the History Channel when I was a kid. The Japanese uh, episode was pretty cool, uh, right? They talked about like the Type 30 bayonet and how it was so long because they were trying to inspire just the Japanese civilian kind of peasantry uh, populace into, hey, you too can be a samurai. We've given you a long bayonet and we'll do, you know, sword fencing training and all that good stuff. Um, but my favorite gun on that show was the Type 44. And I was just, man, that's a su super cool gun. Um, but anyway, grew up and then never owned firearms uh didn't really have that much of an interest in buying them um and then i lived over in japan for a few years um and once i got back i got thinking like oh hey like i could purchase a type 44 um and then unfortunately my father passed away and so i inherited some of his guns um and really it was just like well i've got you know a couple of hunting shotguns and a couple of revolvers. So I'm a gun owner now. Why not look into it and start collecting? Um, and so my first gun was a Type 44. Uh, so, or my first Millsurp was a Type 44. Nice. Um, That's a good first. It's an odd first. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun thinking about like most people got Mosins because they were super cheap and all mm -hmm. that and, and everything else. And we'll kind of we'll touch on this as we get into today's topic. But right, the first time I bought a gun was really when I had disposable income. And so like before that it was like, Hey, I need to pay for food. And, uh, and so I was able to look at something that wasn't a hundred dollars. Um, my, uh, my type 44 is a little rough. Um, the stock's got some, um, it's got some nice dings to it. Like it looks well used. The bluing's really nice and it has, it's one of the, like the scrubbed mums where they got like half of it. 
So the the portion that's left is really pretty, and then somebody just like kind of nicked the top of it. Um, so they does not have a mom. Yeah, but had a dust cover. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah. I think another weird thing, right? When you first start, you don't know what you're doing or what sites are like sites to buy off of it. So I bought it off guns.com. And I think that's literally like the only time I've ever seen a gun on that website that's anywhere decently priced. So after shipping and the FFL transfer fee, it was $715, I think. So not bad for, uh, I think not bad for a Type 44. Not incredible, but. Um, but yeah, not bad. So yeah, and then and then it just started from there and uh, went to more and more gun shows. I was out in Washington State at the time, um, and Danny, it's it's fun to hear you talk about all the great deals out there because it's totally true. The uh, uh, just the number of good shows with good Milser tables is uh, it was pretty fun. So snagged up some more um, some more guns out there, and then. Uh, I live over in Virginia now, and the the collecting market is a little bit rougher. Uh, moved here about a year ago, so yeah, that's uh, that's me and how I got into stuff. That's cool. The type the type forty four is is it's neat because like it's something that you had to have known about and liked to done research for. It it's almost like most guys' first milserp is just something they just happen to come across, you know. Like they happen to come across a Mosin or an SKS in their local gun shop, they buy it, and then that you know that does it. Then they're like, "Oh shoot, these old guns are cool." And then they get into. I know a lot of people they tend to be really into like the first thing they bought that kind of like gets them into others. Um, I don't know if that's where you're at now. Do you kind of just exclusively look for uh, Japanese stuff or kind of just anything? Um, I definitely, my, my collection is, it's all over the place. So I think I would say it's mostly World War One and then Japanese. Um, so I've got a, uh, a type 3502 slash 45. Those are the ones that like right at the end of the world of World War Two oh, yeah. took old type 35 receivers. Did you, did you um, post that on the discord? I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh. I for whatever reason I've just had really good luck at gun shows. Like a lot of people hate on gun shows, but I really enjoy them because it's just like you find one table with one guy who doesn't know what he has or, or does and just undervalues it. So I got this for uh, I think that was seven fifty. It's probably a two thousand dollar gun. I can't um, relate. I can't and, relate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've just had good luck. So anyway, I, I really enjoy um, my Japanese arms. And then, like I said, I, I lived over in Japan for a few years. And so I also had some Japanese swords, um, some more traditional katana. But then also um, I have a, a kaigunto, a, a Japanese Navy sword um, used during World War II. So, um, yeah. A kaigunto or a shin But the rest of my stuff. Is it like oh, a modern sorry? mountings? Is it a, a Kai Gun Toe or a Shin Gun Toe? Nerd. The, yeah. The Kai, yeah. So, so Kai Gun Toe. That's, the, that's the older one, right? It's the old, it's old sword. Uh, that's a Q Gun Toe, or at least the, so Q Gun Toe is the Western style mountings of uh, okay. a traditional blade. So those were like okay. Meiji era where they were adopting more modern. Um, so it is, a, it's a Shin Gun Toe, but it's a type of, so Shin Gun Toe is like the more, uh, the newer type swords, and then a kai gunto is a uh, Japanese navy sword. So kai means ocean in in Japan. 
Um, and I'm betting this, this topic's probably going to come up at some point, so I'll just get it out of the way now. Uh, so I lived in Japan because I'm part of the Navy um, and uh, uh, the U.S. Navy and was stationed over there. Um, and, yeah, uh, boring, dorky disclaimers that uh, I'm only speaking on behalf of myself tonight and nothing I talk about represents the, uh, the U.S. government or the Department of the Navy. Um, I'm a... I'm a JAG officer, so a lawyer in the Navy. So I, uh, if I didn't do that disclaimer, somebody would probably call me out on it. <laughs> I'd call you out on That's it. That's good. Good. To, good. To, yeah. Yeah. Aaron was ready. He was, he was, he was getting ready. No, it's good to do, do good to do Slide. the disclaimer. Um, Slide in your eyes, man. My dad was in the I Navy. Just pretty, <clears throat> I, I uh, just pretty recently got into Japanese swords. And so you saying that is like uh, what I what I have. The last one that I got was I was told it was a, an Imperial Landing Forces sword. Um, but then I was reading uh, Jim Dawson's book, his sword book about it. Yeah. And uh, and he called it something completely different in there. Like it wasn't necessarily the Marine sword, but that's what I told it was. So now that you talk about the Kai Gunto, now I'm thinking that's a Kai Gunto. It could be. If you, if you post photos uh, on... Uh... Oh man, even better. Oh, so yeah, it's a little, it's a little hard to tell. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So, oh gosh, I'm remembering. I'm forgetting what the the term is, but the the way the the hilt is wrapped is usually indicative of um, kind of mid to late war. And I want to say that like that has something to do with like a Type Three. It's like a like a not a replacement, but they started doing that towards the end of the war. Uh, but yeah, that Dawson book, mm-hmm. um, that Dawson book is fantastic. If you, if a person's looking to get into Japanese swords, um, definitely get that book. I haven't bought Ian's company's new book and I've been meaning to, but I'm a little worried that it's just, it's beautiful, but it's $130 and I've already got Dawson, which was like $160. And I'm yeah. worried that the new book is beautiful, but doesn't add anything. I have no idea though. I haven't. I haven't read it. I, I asked that on one of the Facebook groups, and somebody was like, "No, it totally adds a bunch." So uh, I'll probably end up getting that soon. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. To the to the dozen people liking swords, that that's good, yeah. to, good to hear. That's a pretty. It's a pretty recent thing with me um, liking these. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna reach out. You gotta get some other soon. Yeah, definitely. You got an NCO sword too, didn't you? The, yeah, it was in a vet grouping. I'll show it to you real quick. Yeah, if anybody is looking to branch off uh, non-Milserp stuff, Japanese swords are pretty awesome. I mean, it's still Milserp technically, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. What a nice clean blade there, Danny. Yeah, it looks like it was uh, polished. Not sure when, but this came. Uh, it was a Navy CB. I was given the guy's name. I forgot it, but he brought uh, this sword and uh, some other stuff. I have a sword, a flag, a Japanese canteen, a Japanese bugle, and a few other little little things from from uh, a bayonets uh, stuff from his collection. But he was a Navy Seabee, and um, you can look up his record. And he landed on islands like the big battles, like like Iwo Jima and stuff. But like a week after combat wrapped up. So he was there kind of perfect time to, to pick things up. And, and uh, so, yeah, so this sword came from a bunch of stuff from his estate. But uh, cool. Did Oh, recent acquisitions. Almost skipped. 
for going into a topic. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have any because that bitch is expensive. Yeah, it's like you're make, making payments on something expensive is almost like buying little things mm-hmm. like every every month or whatever. Oh, my goodness, Aaron. What is that thing? Well, I mean, What's it's, that an called again? it's an M95, obviously. This uh, I did an unboxing video, uh, an unboxing stream. Unfortunately, it, uh, I forgot to record the audio properly. So it's a lost <laughs> video. But, I thought I watched uh, that. It's this one. So I did get it's another a, one. It's another one. This is a second oh. one from RTI. Uh, Roll that dice again. That was me rolling, that, yeah, a, rolling the uh, dice again. Yeah. This is a long rifle this time. Was it worth it? Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, nothing missing uh, on this one. Uh, minor rust needs to be cleaned still. Still have the with the tag on it, but. Um, Overall, it's in pretty good shape, but it's pretty worn. Like, the finger grooves are really worn down. But other than that, like, it's pretty good shape. Receiver and barrel match. There's the remains of a stock cereal, but who knows. So Yeah, for the price, you can't beat it for a long rifle. No. Uh, the uh, the rear sight is frozen at the max. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so that's about the only, like, major issue i've discovered on it so far i don't know if it's just stuck or like it's you give it a you give it a little love tap um i haven't yet because i haven't messed with this one still yet i'm i'm still working on the other one but um that was something i did notice that it was kind of just stuck but other than that everything's good i would do it again especially since they were doing that uh hitting my ceiling um they were doing that sale for 199 yeah 200 bucks for a Milserp. Especially, you know, before RTI was importing all their stuff, man, it wasn't like the easiest thing to get an M95 long rifle. That's what I've been telling you know, everybody. Especially in a especially an 8x50, but No, that's what I was telling everybody. It's, it's a roll of a dice though. I was telling everybody this in the in the in the stream is before RTI imported these, an 8x50R rifle you could expect to find in that condition, in pretty rough condition. Because they're either going to be from Ethiopia or some other African country where Italy was involved. Or they were captured World War One and then not, not taken care of. So most of the time they're in pretty terrible condition. You're actually, the, the given rule for an 8x50R rifle or Stutzen is you're going to find them in pretty crap condition. So the fact that I can get one for $200... Or 250 is insane because those were in crap condition 600 700 pre rti so like that they just didn't exist especially the stutzens the the short rifles or the carbines they didn't exist i've never seen one for sale in 8x50r before rti imported all of them what do so, you think rti has done to m95 prices just kind of I don't think it's done much them, at all. I don't really think it has it's done much at all because the market's just not that big. And then um, it's not really suppressed Carcano prices. Those have not really gone down. Um, it, and I would argue that they've gotten more Carcanos than they have M95s. Um, and they've also put out more of those because those have been steadily cheaper uh, than uh, the M95s. The um, I would say it's not really depressed the value um, because it's still 8x50R, so they're still like a dead, obscure cartridge. So um, it's yeah. definitely not 
that's a little better on my face. Uh, it's definitely not uh, um, doing much in, in terms of the market as far as that goes, because 8x50R is a dead cartridge. Yeah, that's exactly why I didn't want an M95 and 8x50. I know it's technically original and cooler or whatever, whatever, but like, I'll take it by 56. It's fine. I mean, that's the, I can, that's the World I can War get ammo for that. I can actually shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. You can reload for it, too. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to get you the info. Yeah, you can reload for it. The uh, PPU makes uh, boxer brass for it. Yeah. You can even convert 8x56 uh, boxer brass into 8x50 pretty easily. You just have to... It, it requires the moving of the shoulder, so you do need to anneal it to make it a little bit looser to do it. So it's a little bit more involved, but not near as hard as making 8x52R Siamese. Danny, do you reload? No, you other guys do. I, I used to. Um, I kind of stopped. I had a reloading room in my old house, and it got taken over. And so all my reloading stuff is just in boxes now. Yeah. Gotcha. Didn't do anything cool. Jared is the reloader. He's the guy I reach out to if I need, like, load data or whatever. Like, today I reached out to him about some, uh, this, uh, 6.5 Norwegian loading data. And I forgot to get Sorry. it for you. And, uh, no, it's okay. Uh, so I got a, I got a comment on one of my videos and I get these comments every now and then basically saying that I'm going to blow up my Norwegian crag or something. I'm going to damage it, whatever, whatever, by shooting six, five by 55 commercial through it. And, uh, I get those comments every now and then it's not a big deal, but this guy was Norwegian. And, uh, so he, he, you know, he just basically said he could send me some info on it that sort of proved it because I asked him for sources. I'm like, dude, please send me a source because I can't find anything in English about this. So what he sent me today was load data from a Norwegian hand loading or reloading book. Mm-hmm. And I uh, didn't quite understand what it meant. And, but I sent it to Jared because Jared's the reloading guy and he knows what it means. Mm-hmm. So and I don't know if you feel data. so like it's just it was like I just kind of mean anything. Yeah, it was like a copy of a page of a book of load data in Norwegian. Yeah, like when you when I look at them, routers, like, but yeah. And, and what I was gonna do is because I've got I don't know six or seven books on this, I was just gonna go get the speed, velocity, and all that, and then this is what the load data is. Uh-huh. But if you follow a book, the books are written safe. There's a high, there's a low, and a high, and they're really written to be safe because it's a liability. So you're like, even though you're in the realm of fast or, or uh, pressure spikes, you should still be okay because it's the spec. So I was going to compare the, um, Milsert spec given out of cartridges of the world with low data from books that I have and see, because what I saw was these are different kinds of bullets and this is the different powders you can use. And this is the speed. That was it. So if it's, yeah, less power than the military cartridge i don't understand the the point of it but even more like modern commercial made ammunition um eight millimeters a good one um eight millimeter ammunition commercial should be and i I believe it should be weaker than hand loads because what if you put it into a gavera 88 or commission rifle It's 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 a weaker chambering than a 98 we we are Mauser you sure? built safeties into the gun. Are we sure? Mauser built safeties into the gun. I'm just saying the Turks used Turkish ammo with Gewehr 88s. <laughs> and I don't they remember did. the Turkish all blowing up. 
In maybe fact, it's, maybe it's all in. Maybe it's all what's in the, Turkish. What's the one I always make fun of, Danny? The <laughs> the Gewehr eighty-eight oh five eight fifteen thirty-five or whatever. I think it's thirty-eight. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a bunch of updates yeah. on it. Yeah, it makes like, it looks like a Mauser, but it's still like a variety. <laughs> the they, the only time that that really does not apply, and, and I'm I'm like being like covering my ass, is if you get forty five seventy, you can't put forty five seventy for a Marlin ninety three in a trap door. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a bad day. They actually make commercial trap door ammo for that reason. Yeah. They also make thirty um, six for M ones. That is a bolt velocity thing, and that's about bending op rods. So the the gun is safe. You just bend an op rod. Now there's still some if, people that argue about that too. And it'll shoot, but I'm not going to risk my thousand dollar M1 on ammo from the store unless it says it's for this rifle. I'm not arguing because I'm not the one arguing with you. I've just seen people. Oh, I know argue you're not. About it's it. all I'm. The only reason I'm bringing it up is it's my investment, which kind of ties in for today. Hey. hey, hey. And I'm not going to screw hey. up my investment because I have a bull head. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, we've had, I've had this discussion on Reddit, actually. They had a, somebody ask if you shoot less now than you used to. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I haven't <laughs> shot anything in like two years. Yeah. Because I've got, I've got kids. I've got responsibilities. I don't have time to go out I to the range. I can't find primers. It's <laughs> damn responsibilities. We had a good discussion on that point. I uh, so I live in Virginia, and the two range options available are public land ranges wow. that are for sighting in of hunting rifles. So they're closed uh, from the first of April through the what is it? The last day of September, I think. They're closed more than half the year. Uh, and then the other options are no joke: a hundred dollars an hour to go shoot. And so, like, I shot rifles here at the, one day at the beginning of the season, and just life took over. And then I shot it like the very last day of the season, uh, and now I won't shoot rifles for the next six months because I just like I refuse to spend that's, half of an M ninety five on uh, yeah, on an hour go. of range time. <laughs> that is a bad. Yeah, that's that's two thirds of a Carcano. You got to really yeah. want to go. Is it like per person or is it just like per lane and you can, like you could split it with a couple people? Maybe? I, don't, I don't know. Is this That's outdoor a good question? Um, yeah. Yeah. Outdoor ranges. There's just not a lot of public land or uh, there's not a lot of land that is not developed or, you know, shootable out here because the population density is so high. Um, I'm uh, I'm right on the coast, which makes sense. That's where the Navy bases are. So, uh, um, so just a lot of population, not a lot of shoot, uh, shootable land. That makes sense. The closest range, public range that I can go to, not public, but a, a private range that I can pay for is, it's $20 for the day. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I there mean, like, there's a big difference there, but uh, I just yeah. still can't make time to get out there. My range that I went to in Washington State was... Um, kind of up in this like forward forested part of the mountains and it was like thirteen dollars for the day and it's gorgeous you get like snow there when it wouldn't be snowy down lower um and the pine trees and just like smelled really you're nice making it's like a great you're making danny miss it i could yeah. see it in his eyes i was just wondering was it up in the was it up in a park it was like a stone it was a really ro- like rock quarry or something that they turned into the range um 
It wasn't. It wasn't a rock quarry. I don't think so. This was up in um, uh, by Bellingham. Okay. So not not in a yeah. quarry, but kind of is up elevation a little bit. It was like the the highest elevation shooting range I've, I was ever been in. Is that the the range? It was the one where I mm-hmm. shot my seven six two by thirty nine Arasaka. That one yeah. was like up in this the mountains. It's so you, you're like shooting. And then you like walk a hundred yards over and you have this like gorgeous view of like the, the valley and everything. And that was pretty, uh, Washington's one of those States that it's like California. It's a gorgeous state. It's just ruined by the, by the people. So, um, I think, yeah, I got out of there right before, I think they passed some, some more laws and stuff fairly, fairly recently there. Yeah. So. They, just, they just passed a very restrictive assault weapons ban. Um, Yeah. It's, well, uh, one in Illinois don't, too. Don't necessarily need to jump down that tangent, but it's uh, it's going to be very restrictive. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of gun tubers in like Washington and Oregon. I think they both just passed some stuff recently, so it just sucks for them Cascadians. Time to move to Idaho. Yeah. There you go. That's where all the Californians are moving, man. Just talk to some Idahoans about it. They'll let you know. I was thinking. Man, so recent purchases. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. M ninety five. Good. Your M ninety five. Jared. Jared is paying off the is paying off the thirty four. Paid off. And I'm then, uh, Mike. From it. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> sort of the same thing. Kinda. It's like recovering your savings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael, you buy anything so, like recently, last m- month or so? I did. The I nickel and dime myself, um, and the three behind me are all new. So. Um, first, uh, is an RTI Carcano. Um, it's half disassembled and half clean because I didn't have any croil on me and the screws are just stripped to pieces. Uh, I wanted, I wanted a pre-World War One date and I'm really happy with it. Like grand total, it was like 200 and, um, like 225, I think after shipping. What year? And I think... I think it's a 1901 Brescia. Oh. Um, I think it's going to clean up really nicely, but uh, but yeah, the screws. I had I did literally cut a groove into a screw because either it had been wire wheeled to heck or somebody had like shaved it off. It literally didn't have a notch in it, so I I literally took a file and filed my own notch so I could get it disassembled. Um, and so I got the handguard off. Uh, and everything else, but the two, the two screws on the receiver holding holding in everything here, um, are just not moving. So I do like those little uh, carbines. They look like they would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I got things. yeah I got a, a different one from um, <laughs> KY Gun Company. Um, that was like two hundred dollars uh, a year ago or so, but it was. Um, mid thirties dated, and I wanted the I wanted the World War One history. I've uh, I've been really interested in Italian Front World War One, um, and so that's the second piece. Uh, these two guns are the only guns I've ever bought off of RTI, um, just because the way things go, I'm not really willing to pay more than two hundred dollars for a gun from them. Maybe I'll pay a little bit more if it's yeah. something else, but I think it's just the risk is too is too great. Um, but I've been I'm really happy with this one, which was one of their parts list guns. Oh, the, that's the one I think I those are actually, yeah, yeah. So, so this is a uh, eighteen eighty six slash ninety five. 
So it was marketed as an 88 slash 95, um, but Aaron helped me out and pointed out some bit. things that Lift made it. it up a little bit. Uh, yeah, there you go. Right, now hold it, so, hold it so you can see the magazine. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Oh, I didn't take the gun lock off. Um, I have a, <laughs> I have a, uh, a gun lock on. Uh, I have a son, and right, yeah, yeah, the most dangerous weapon here. Uh, I have a gun lock on all my guns, um, yeah. which is a, a good compromise, so I can store them out in the open. But, but each one has a lock anyway. Um, that gun's its own yeah. lock, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, wire wheel to heck. Um, it's super interesting to me because it feels like it's sanded. Aaron, you were talking about that with your yeah. um, the M95 RTI. It feels like just, it, but it's just worn, worn down. Yeah, I would imagine it. It yeah, probably not... set out because they all set outside in the wind, and 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 it's just been worn down with sand hitting it. Yeah, that's all I can think of. But I'm super happy with it. So it, I'll, I'll never fire it because the receiver is cracked, which was why RTI was uh, had it on the uh, Project's gun. But even you know getting the caliber again it's a dead caliber so uh i'm totally happy with a wall hanger well and that's after a very shipping. interesting that's an interesting like emergency conversion situation yeah. gun right there because that is the 1886 yeah, model converted to the 8x50 r cartridge you think that's why it cracked yeah it's a possibility although i wouldn't yeah. say for sure I don't think that's probably it because they they converted a lot of the 88s to that and the 88s are the exact same um they're just um, the uh, throat is different. They they made it thicker. If you show the barrel where it connects to the receiver on that, Mike. So British see, called out the Knox form. So my my 86, that that gap between where the receiver connects to the barrel is only about this thick. And when they converted mm -hmm. them to the 50R, they they made it bigger to to be able to handle the pressure. So his is con correctly converted, so it's not like a. That's definitely not something that was done haphazardly. That was a correct conversion. It's got the right rear sights on it. It's got the updated rear sights for the smokeless cartridge. So uh, it was definitely not a situation like the Vetterlies, where they sh shoved a sleeve in it or whatever. But like this was a. A conversion, emergency conversion, but I would say it was properly done. So I don't know what caused it to crack. Who knows? Yeah, um, because they shot the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. How does the barrel look on it? But, um, it's like it's okay. It's not horrendous, but it's not it's not great. Um, yeah. But uh, after shipping, it was a hundred and eighty-five dollars, I think. So, uh, like I said, two hundred dollars is a th I think a good place to roll the dice on RTI, just because the some of the problems you find. Um, but I, I was super happy with, with both of these. I think the screws on, on the, the Carcano are a little unfortunate, but that's surplus. Um, this one, this one was really cool. Uh, so that's, that's two out of the three. And then third one, uh, like I said a little bit ago, I have gone shooting rifles literally twice in the last year, uh, just for timing and lack of ranges. Um, but, at my last time, a guy next to me just pulled out a, uh, a Swedish uh, M38, and uh, I was like, "Oh, hey, look, uh, uh, it's a Milserp." And so we got we got chatting, and he had picked it up at a local gun store that I hadn't been to because the range. Oh, this is the other thing, right? The 
the public range, the only one available, is an hour and like 15 minutes away. So uh, it's just it's challenging, um, but it's a nice range and people are nice there. So I, this guy and I got talking and he, he talked about this gun store that he said had a decent amount of milserps. Uh, and so I left the range and went there and found this guy, um, which is a Dutch M95. Um, oh no, not and, the Dutch. Yeah, I'm I'm super happy with this one um, for a few different reasons. So this is the East Indies version, the the KNIL, the nil. So that's a three um, three one. So that's the question uh, because if you look at the bayonet lug on it, it is been modified to fit the Japanese Type 30 um, bayonet. And so the the question is, who did that? Was it the Japanese during their occupation of the Dutch East Indies during the war? Or was it the Indonesians during the war when they uh, also got in the mix? Uh, or was it the Indonesians after the war, after they got a bunch of Type 30s? Um, I'd like to think I think I'd like to think it was the Japanese because I, I think that'd be an intri- a more interesting piece of history but I don't, I don't have any evidence and trying to figure it out online has been a little challenging there's a good section on yeah. um, monlickers on uh, gun boards and some good discussion by um, some folks who specialize in Dutch M95s but nobody really has uh, has a has a clue about it um, so Aaron to your question is it 303? I don't know. It's definitely not 6.5 Dutch, but I don't have any 7.7 Japanese on me, and I don't have any 3 of 3 on me, and I haven't uh, done a chamber cast. So uh, it's not 6.5 Dutch because the uh, the hole in the barrel is is way uh, um, way larger in diameter in diameter. Um, well, and dude, that would be. That would be cool as shit if it was 7.7 7 Japanese. I mean, yeah. it's essentially a, the same thing. <laughs> that's what I was actually going to say. Is if, if three, you three, check... I'm, I'm sorry, 303 rimless. Yeah. That'd be really cool same. if it was 3. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the, the better did... 303? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a, there's an IMA auction or a listing that's, that's you know, sold out now, but um, for a Japanese modified... Um, Dutch M95 and it came like it has some markings on it some faded um, some faded paint on the on the stock. Mine doesn't have anything like that to give me any information so I'll probably never know but I think it's it's super interesting and, and like I said Japanese arms are um, one of the, the things that are my favorite about my collection um, and I think on top of that the uh, the condition of the rifle is really nice. The blue yeah. is, is yeah. it looks really, really good. good. They tend to be pretty um, rough because they were used way, mm-hmm. yeah, way better than most nails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the one unfortunate thing is that it's missing its top handguard. Oh uh, yeah, so something was uh, missing. If you're listening to this, join the Discord and I will buy your handguard off of a uh, Dutch M95 for a large amount of money, um, which I can afford to do because this gun was marked at 350. Uh, and then that, and then that had a slash through it to two fifty, <laughs> or excuse me, oh, three, boy. to three hundred. Yeah, so yeah. it was three fifty originally. That had a slash through it to three hundred. That had a slash through it to two fifty. Uh, and I looked at it and I was like, 
I bet that this puppy is never going to sell and I can get it for lower than that. Uh, and so I offered them 200 um, and he called the, the, the shop owner called up the, uh, the owner or excuse me, the, yeah, yeah. The, the shop owner had on commission. consignment. Yep. Yep. Called up the gun owner and he looked over it. He looked over at me, the, the, the shop owner. And he was like, how much? And I was like, 200. He was like, no, no, that's what you said first. How much now? And I was like, I'm not going to change my offer before you, you know, like you actually ask him. And so I said 200. Uh, and then the gun owner agreed. So I got this with my CNR license for $200. Uh, and it's in super nice condition, just missing the handguard. It's not numbers matching, which is unfortunate, but the the condition, I mean, and then especially the, I mean, uh, it, the those bayonet K Those KNIL guns tend to be in horrible condition. Like they tend to be like yeah. super rough. So I wouldn't. I'm not surprised whatsoever that they would be un unmatching. Just like the M95s, you see, they're in rough shape. Like I, you know, they've been mated together with whatever parts they had on hand. Doesn't rain yeah. where that's from. It doesn't yeah. rain in Indonesia. Yeah. And so um, I've got, I'm almost 100% Dutch heritage as well. And so like that piece was really interesting. Uh -huh. And then when we lived in Japan, we traveled down to Bali. Um, and so having been to Indonesia and seen some of the kind of Dutch colonial history there as well, it was just like, man, that's an awesome pickup. Now you so I've been, I've been really all happy the with Dutch this, M95s. Yeah. Oh man, even just watching even just watching the CN Arsenal uh videos on it was exhausting. I can't imagine just the level of knowledge and yeah. like examples that you have to find. I've had so many people um, ask me a... and I'm like, no. No. Yep. So, uh those are my new pickups. I'm I'm like I said, nickel and diming because I I've got a few guns that are higher price that are on my list that I want to save up for, but I keep finding good deals for like two hundred dollars and uh that's how it. That's how it gets you. Yep. yep. Let yep. them yep. find you. That's what I do. Yeah. Do you look for stuff? Yeah. Nope. I let them find me. Do we yeah. want to get into our yeah, topic of the been... day, Danny? Yeah, yeah. We can get right into the old. Uh... So Michael is very organized, and he uh, he has some. He made a PDF. One. Sorry. One quick thing, Danny. Did you have any new any new guns? We don't ask him. Oh, oh yeah, my re yeah, recent acquisitions. Well, I they're at, they're still at the Joel's. I have to pick them up. I haven't had time to go, but I have three yet. That yeah, we don't ask Danny because he always has like fourteen to go through. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, just three. Oh, I got a, a Dyson V11 Torque. Oh. Uh, that's been really cool. It's got some like quick detach yeah. uh, features on it. Yeah. Uh, pretty good, pretty good range. Yeah. You know, like uh, like thirty to sixty minute runtime. It's pretty. It's That's been pretty kind good, of a game yeah. changer. And how's household. the suction? Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. It's got three. It's got three modes for for the suction: touch screen. It's got little uh, little battery indicator on the back with the with minutes. So, been a, it's been a game changer around the the Hayes household lately. So it's been uh, it's been pretty good. Now. Uh, yeah, so at the no actual <laughs> actual my wife actually came up with that. She was like, You gotta mention the 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 Dyson during the during the, the podcast. No, it's a Persian Norwegian Crag, uh an eighteen ninety four long rifle and a Colombian. Colombian nineteen forty FN contract. So Yep. Uh um, awesome. I've been wanting to yeah. Which one? I said I've been wanting to get a Colombian, but it seems like there's uh -oh. not that many of them. 
Yeah, I'm I'm surprised. Uh, the guy, you know, the guy that sold it, he listed it on our, uh, you know, on our on our Discord, and I was like, uh, well, you showed like all of his Mausers on the table, and I asked for he had a Buenos Aires that I've been wanting the model 1933 because that's made at Mauser Mauser Oberndorf, and I love the pre-war Mauser contracts. Like those, those are just really cool to me, like the Brazilians and Chileans. Um, but then, yeah, the Buenos Aires police carbines. I think it's a police. I got, I got them. The model 1933. But I just went with the, the Colombian, which was the 1940 contract, which is pretty cool. There's one page in Anthony Vanderlinden's FN Mauser book. There's one page about it, and it basically starts off saying, not a lot's known. We don't really know like this and that, but here's some observations. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it doesn't even have so when uh, when Joel when Joel got it in at Panzerfaust Armory, he's like, "What model is this? Like, what do I put this in my book as?" And I sent him a picture of the the page in the book. They don't even like know. There's no like model name for it. It's like the Colombian 1940 contract is a blah blah blah, you know. And it's like, is it the 1940? Is it uh, is it an FN 1924 that catch all term or is it a, like just the 1930? Yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, one of those it's one of those weird. But it's a Colombian not converted to 30 at six because tons of them were converted to 30 at six. It's in just seven millimeter Mauser, uh, God's God's favorite caliber, and uh, so the Lord's like caliber not converted. Yeah, 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 the Lord's caliber. So we uh, so I had to get it just mostly because of that. And yeah, and Colombians aren't too. Aren't too uh, too common. So Danny's slowly, that's another, that's slowly collecting all have. of the obscure South American Mausers. Slowly, slowly, but but surely we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's those are the. Th- I didn't get them. They're not like. But I bought them. They're just waiting for me to go. What Danny the, really wants is the, uh, a seven millimeter Vergero from the from Brazil. What or I would was, really like was that Brazil or, I think it was Brazil. I want yeah. a. I want a I want a Mexican Mauser next. I want a the Mexican 1933, which is really really cool. It looks like a uh, kind of has like a, 19, a Springfield 1903 like cocking knob on the back of it. It's just like this weird looking like Mauser with these weird features. That's just like I, I like that thing. Or even more so, uh, a Mexican Arasaka. Ooh, Arasaka it's a millimeter yeah. Mauser. Oof. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, yeah, so anyhow, that's, that's all my, those, cool. are, those are like, I kind of always look for them. There's like, I saw a, uh, uh, just a receiver of a Mexican Arasaka. And it's like, you just say that you can just say like, ah, I saw a Mexican Arasaka. People are like, what, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? But, uh, they're pretty, they're pretty cool. I kind of like, kind of like stuff like that. Um, cool. Okay. You want to jo- hop into this old topic now, Mike? Um, I like your, your your first point here, the introduction, and sort of kind of why we're going over this, which I kind of I thought it summed it up pretty you know pretty good. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, we're going to talk about guns finance uh, because guns and money are tied together. Because oftentimes, what's the first thing you talk about when you talk about like a gun is like I got a good deal, I paid X Y Z for it. So it's like guns and finances are are pretty pretty tied together. Um, me personally, I, I find this really interesting. Um, I feel like Jared kind of might be in the same boat as me where like I think we look at a lot of this as uh, kind of like investments. Mm-hmm. I think they're pretty I think they're a pretty good like hedge against inflation. You know, depending on what school of thought you look at like investments from, 
Um, I think they're, I think they're pretty neat to have. I think it's better than just, you know, having cash, you know, sitting around getting, getting eaten up by the invisible tax. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I can kind of let you go through these points, Michael, cause you, you came up with this if you want. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, so, um, I don't know if I really have a reason why I'm interested in guns and money or personal finance generally. It's just, I think it's really a sad or tragic concept to look at the kind of old collectors that you see at gun shows that are selling off their collection. And then you get to talking to them and uh, it's just, it's very apparent. uh, And sometimes they'll be explicit about it where it's like, Hey, this, I had, I had a note later in the, the kind of outline I had one guy that was trying to sell me a couple guns and I got a good deal from him. And then others were just like very overpriced, but he started talking and he was like, this collection is my 401k. And to me, I was just like, Oh wow. Uh, okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's an interesting, and we've got a discussion question about guns as investments later that we can kind of talk through. But my thought is on, guns as a 401k right like when you're getting towards the end of your life and and this you know this collector wasn't he wasn't like at death's door or anything but you know he was selling off his collection if that's your 401k and that's all you've got it's such a it's such a non-liquid asset and you have to give it up in order to actually you know access the money um to me it was just like okay what did you do before this moment to set yourself up for success and, and so, really, that that kind of that concept of like, hey, this is a this is a really fun, incredibly interesting hobby, but at the end of the day, for most of us, it's just that it's a hobby. It's not our business. It's not it's not what puts food on your table. And so, having the having the fundamentals down solid allows you to continue to enjoy your hobby when you otherwise might not able be able to if you don't have those fundamentals down. I think you see on gun boards all the time really unfortunate scenarios where somebody talks about, hey, I'm going through a medical issue and I need to sell off part of my collection. And, you know, uh, I think kind of a, a bigger piece about all of our discussion tonight is just the, like, tough times happen. Uh, and I want to give folks grace for that, right? Like, nobody expects to get cancer and needs to come up with $100,000 to pay for the treatment that you think is going to save your life. And so it, you just you can't plan for those type of things. But I think you can plan for, you know, just generally the unexpected, right? You can have an emergency fund. You cannot get into a bunch of debt. You can, you know, set yourself up for success as you go along. And I think guns and money, if you're going to be interested in guns, Danny, kind of like what you said, just by necessity, you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to get uh, taken advantage of. And so you want to know how much your your money can go for to get an object. Um, and so just setting yourself up for success before you're, you know, needing to sell off your favorite pieces in your collection because you just need money to, to pay for X, Y, Z. Um, so I said disclaimer earlier. Oh, go ahead, man. You wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind uh, me just saying real quick about the 401k aspect of it, it's interesting because I know I know two guys who both one of them I don't know if he ever had one to begin with, but he has uh, a huge collection of I don't want to get too like uh, I don't want to call him out or whatever, so I don't say what gun it is because he's like real he's known in that world, but he's got like, he's like 
the guy of this one specific nationality of Milsurp. It's got like probably the best collection maybe in the United States. And uh, he just he said that he personally does that as a 401k instead of his 401k because he tracks it just like a 401k and tracks the appreciation. And to him, he's seen a better return than he thinks he would have for most 401ks. And uh, this is just what he said. This is not financial advice or anything. But he, he said that he does that. And he said that because he's so well known that he has people that have sort of standing offers on his collection. So at any moment, if he wanted or needed to sell, he could just liquidate it. Uh, and I know another guy who he did have a 401k and he was not happy with the returns that he was getting, I guess. And so he just cashed it out and dumped <sighs> it all into Millsurps. So he uh, he went kind of wild and he bought like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of, of Millsurps um, with his with his 401k money. And I think he was pretty smart about it. I think he bought stuff that was uh, like more collectible stuff that kind of goes up a little bit, a little bit better than others, because not all Millsurps the same. Like not all of it goes up like I think German stuff is kind of notorious for kind of shooting up and, and stuff like that. But there's a lot of. Yeah. And, uh, M what's, M what's that, Aaron? M95s are not my my bond retirement fund. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. If you have a like if you have a job that matches like a 401k contribution, I think it's you, you have. That's to what do I do. Sort of I, I, I do like, the match amount and then I man. stop. I don't I don't. That's free money. Like I mean, yeah, it. why not? Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's looking at it. They're looking at it as it's that is its thing. They're not like, oh, I'm just investing this and I'm never going to sell it and and it's whatever. That's that's a little bit of a different mentality. I would say that's the exception, not the rule. Um, yeah, I yeah. agree. And it, and I think kind of generally, right? The the personal in personal finance counts. Like for me, like. I know that I like the objects too much to sell them. Like I dislike selling stuff. And so uh, I would, I would not want to do that, but again, right. Like personal, personal finance. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, a, uh, it's just, a, it's interesting. And so I, so I think even that, that discussion point, and I think we'll talk here in a little bit about um, guns as investments and what you should be thinking about if you do so. And if you don't, why not, et cetera. Um, but Danny, you, t you said for a second there, Hey, this isn't financial advice. Um, and so another kind of disclaimer for me, right. I'm not an expert. Uh, this is not, uh, any type of professional financial advice at all, right? You go to an expert to double check what I'm saying, read the experts, get a, you know, if you choose yeah. get a, a, you know, financial advisor, et cetera. Um, We're just but I think some talking about yeah. this. Yeah. Yep. No one comes to us for information that's reliable. Yep. Yeah, this is just uh, sort of a personal take. Yeah, but I, I and and I think the most important thing though that you can kind of take away from this, particularly if you're young, and that's I think the my purpose in kind of pitching this as an idea for the podcast is that you know all of us are in our you know mid thirties or younger thirties, and a lot of a lot of collectors these days, particularly those that are on YouTube and creating content, et cetera, are younger. Um, and so the most important takeaway from this is, you know, taking personal responsibility of your personal finances and getting yourself and those you love ready for the future. Um, and so I hope that you take away from this podcast some things that make you 
excited to learn more about and just to you know stop making excuses and actually do it uh personal finance i would say is probably 80 to 90 percent habit and 10 percent knowledge um you can hear these things over and over and over again but if you don't actually do them if you don't carve out some time to learn about it and actually execute the plan you're just going to be one of the sad people later in life that didn't set yourself up for success um, I think another kind of caveat on all of this is that it's totally scalable to whatever level of income you have. Um, so, right, obviously, the more money you make, the bigger your the bigger your shovel is. If you get into a hole, you can dig yourself out faster. But it's all scalable, right? If you make twenty thousand dollars a year, you can still enact some of these things so that you're going to be better off than if you just wash your hands of it and say, "Hey." I don't make enough money to do X, Y, Z. Well, you're never going to quote unquote make enough money to save for the future if you don't plan on it. And just starting really, really small and then ramping things up as you go along is important. So um, I think another kind of concept that we'll talk a little bit about too is like, is contentment and collecting, um, right? Oh, Everybody gets what's that? a big dopamine Right. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a hard, it's a hard concept of just like being content with your collection, but also wanting the next piece because you saw a video on CN Arsenal about it. And it's just like, Oh wow, that's a really cool piece of history that I could own. But also it costs money to do so. And also you just bought another gun, right? Like it's like my three new pieces. I got them all within, you know, a week of each other. And, uh, and if you do that over and over and over again, I think you'll just not be as happy generally. Uh, and also, like, you won't get financially as ahead as you might otherwise if you're being more intentional with purchases and, and actually enjoying the history and reading books about it and learning more rather than just like, oh, I need the next I need the next hot thing. So let me let me do that real quick. Yeah. So I, I would say that this this kind of spiel tonight is is the like tough love that everybody needs to hear from from their you know their their family members or their friends that are just like they grab you by the shoulders and like hey you need to do this otherwise you're going to hate yourself in 50 years when you're trying to retire on peanuts and you're selling you know not Danny not the the exception to the rule of those those two guys that you talked about but just like you got to the end of your retirement um, or your working years and your only assets are your, you know, your 50 mil serps that you've gotten. Now you're selling them one by one at exorbitant prices because you, you need to eke out as many pennies out of them as possible. Yeah. I've bought so, a lot of guns from a lot of people like that over the years, kind of selling personal collections, getting mm -hmm. old in age, not needing it anymore, selling it. Um, probably like the, one of the more like sad things I think is the, like buying it from like the widow or, mm -hmm. um, or yeah. like the, the, the collector passes away and the whole estate kind of goes somewhere. Um, cause I've seen, like I've bought guns from that were really good deals from estates like that. Like the collector passes away. Nobody has any clue. His wife doesn't know whoever doesn't, whoever got him yeah. doesn't know. And then they go for really good deals, you know? And, um, and like me as a buyer, like, I'm going to pay what the price tag says. I'm not going to offer yep. you know, twice what the price tag says or whatever, but like to, you know, the, the widow or whoever that was, you know, that was going to get that money. It's, um, it's kind of a little sad, you know, because like that is an investment and they, you know, they, they probably could have, could have gotten a lot more for that. So, 
just to sort of, I guess, tie into this, uh, I think documenting your stuff is, is pretty important. Yeah. I made a, yeah. I made a video on it. Uh, I forgot what the title is, but something about like Excel spreadsheet or something like that gun spreadsheet or whatever, where I just show how I, how I log mine. And I give like a copy you can download of, uh, of the spreadsheet that I use and you could keep track of everything. Uh, and that's what I do. I keep track just in case like I like die in a car wreck, drop dead or whatever. <clears throat> like, I keep, I keep the values of all of my stuff and I try to keep them updated as stuff goes, goes up um, for my wife. And I don't, I don't, <clears throat> I don't price them too high, like their value. Cause I don't want them to like not sell ever. Um, but I just, I don't want, you know, my wife to, you know, kind of get, uh, get screwed out of the money, but, um, don't you worry about it. I'll be I the think... first person that's, that Sam's talks to. <laughs> well, what I, what I told her is, uh, cause like local here, I was like, if anything happens to me, get, get in contact with Joel. Yeah. Joel, yeah. He's, cause he's got an FFL. He'll haul all these over. He'll still, you know, he'll sell them all or whatever. So. Just saying, the Danny, thing. There's only one that I want. I want your Johnson. I had to say it. <laughs> Wow, you really want my PP? Yeah. No, I no, do, no. I do the same thing. I actually write mine down in a book, and and I write down. I don't write down what it's worth. I write down what I paid. At least get what I paid out of it. Is is how I did it. So I do both. I do what I yep. paid, and because I want to keep track of appreciation, so I write down like what I paid, and I have another sheet in it where I like track like values over time. So I have like dates and what approximately it's worth or whatever. And then you can input that into various graphs. It's all built into Excel and it could, it could show you like how fast your invest, your gun investments are growing. Here's, here's a funny thing. I call them my, my wood and steel investments. These are my, <laughs> these are my wooden, wooden steel investments. And dude, uh, I mean, there's stuff that I bought like when my wife and I first got together uh, almost 10 years ago. And I'm like, we did good. We did good. We like doubled our money in that one, tripled our money in that one, you know, because because uh, like some some, you know, rather odd stuff and, you know, niche German stuff like really has really gone up lately. And, um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be the devil's advocate here or whatever, but <clears throat> there are certain benefits, I think, to Millsurps versus like a traditional like, you know, 401k that kind of relies on the market. Because there's there's one point, and I know a guy who needs to retire, but when the market dips, he's not going to like cash out his 401k or anything. Like he's not going to take his money out to retire because the market's too low. He's going to stay in and work like so many more years until his money recovers to a certain point where he can retire. Where Millsurps just sort of like some guns dip a little bit, like it's not just a perfectly straight line upwards. But for the most part, you know, Millsurps go up and up and up. And, you know, 401ks with everything, they're, you know, it's, it's an upward trend, but there's some peaks and valleys kind of on the, you know, on the way, on the way up. So I think that's, that is one maybe sort of benefit of Millsurp. Um, no, no, but, we lost uh, Jared. That's a, I'm guessing he has to pee or something. Stepping <laughs> away. But uh, yeah, um, that's, that's sort of just one little, one little thing that I haven't heard too many people mention about when it comes to 401ks um like i said you should have one especially if your if your company matches um i think that's you know that, that's free money but uh there are there are pros to uh as i call them wooden wooden steel investments so yeah i think um 
let's just kind of hit the things that I don't necessarily think we need to talk too much about. Cause again, my, my kind of point on this is that like, these are the, these are the goals that everybody listening should be trying to hit and me saying them is not going to make you hit them. And so, right. Personal responsibility here, getting curious about it, going out and actually learning more and not listening to me because I'm not an expert, but I've read a lot about the experts. I've seen, uh, loved ones kind of screw this up and really hurt, um, you know, hurt future generations in it. And so this is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, so I'm just going to hit some of these things. And, and I, the last thing I want is this podcast to be boring. So I think, uh, you know, we owe it to ourselves to mention these as goals, but like I said, we don't need to, we don't need to belabor the point here. So, um, That's we've talked we about do. a few of these already. <laughs> I mean, we, we sure could. I mean, we belabor um, a lot of points, a lot of dumb points though. The, the first thing is that you want to sink all of your money into farming and livestock, um, specifically mules, because I hear that they have the biggest kick and you can get the biggest kick for your bucks. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I, I, didn't, I was like, myself. what the hell is he talking about? I didn't see it coming. Slow clap. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't see it coming. That was a we years to do that. It's great. Just like oh. most people when they shoot their M95 for the first time, they didn't see it coming. Oh, damn. Oh, wow. <laughs> right <laughs> when they chamber the round. Poor Aaron. It's literally every guest on the podcast. You know, I, I, it's my fault. I'm the one that is is continuing to buy the guns. It's like I... Like, You're I like a crack it. addict. Like I don't want to stop. I just want more crack. I'm not upset. I'm like, can you see me, man? I'm not mad. Like, look at the crackhead. It's, I just need more crack. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and, and RTI is so, the dealer, and it's got the supply. Yeah. <laughs> right. Roll the dice, yeah. dude. You should um, you should take a trip there, man. It's in you Florida. Ever, you I'm not going to, to Florida. Florida. There's yeah, things in Florida there. to do. So okay, let me. Let, this is what you do, Aaron. You you plan a trip, a family vacation to Florida that happens to be close to RTI. Say, hey, babe. It's in Miami. We have this one day where, we, yeah, there's stuff to do in Miami. Totally, so totally. That's totally a family friendly town. Yeah. Uh, so so you uh, so you just say, babe, we just happen to have this free day. Do you mind if I go to this place while we're here? It's just I. It's, it's the just too one good. One thing I want to do. The yeah. one thing I would just love to do, after, especially after yesterday, when I made the whole day about you, would you mind if I go? Who to is RTI it on today? our Discord that goes there? Uh, crap! The I forgot his real name. Frantic. Frantic. Yeah, Frantic. It's the Vitterly guy. Yeah, <laughs> you're Vitterly guy. Frantical Mond. He's very into them. Yes, cool. just like yeah, I'm into M95s. I love making memes about six five Vitterlys. For some reason, I might like typically I always send them to him or. You know, if I hear stuff, I love to I love to tag them in it. But uh, yeah, that's cool. That's the good thing about like narrowing, super narrowing, focusing into like one little niche. Um, like I think it's really cool. I can't do it. I try. That's not an yeah, investment really idea. That's not that's not doing that to get a return. That I what I'm doing. It can be. But what I'm doing is this is not something that I'm engaging in. With the idea that I would, I can sell these as assets, 
that would be an emergency situation. This is not a yeah yeah. This is not a plan long term that these are going to appreciate because for one they're not. They haven't. I I mean from when I first started buying Milserps in 2011 to now, which is 12 years now. Uh, wow, that's weird to say that out loud. Um, they they've not appreciated hardly at all. I bought my first M95 for 2.99. I can still buy M95s from RTI for a uh, for 1.99. So if anything, they've gone down in in value. <laughs> yeah, because the value of a dollar. Yeah, you made a bad investment. Yeah. So yeah. honestly, that's why I said really there's not... caveats to certain. The, yeah, the, certain but the, the, the problem is you don't know what's going to appreciate so quickly. Who who would have guessed that K98Ks would be 1.5K, like like on average? Yeah, for for like a bolt mismatch like nowadays. That's, that's not even a good one. Like that's... Mm-hmm. <sighs> good <Labelle>. adjacent. <laughs> or labels. Oh, the labels. Yeah, Just the labels like, were oh, worthless. Yeah, yeah labels. Labels were yeah, worthless. Yeah, yeah. It was a joke. Yeah, you can ask anybody, yeah. <laughs> anybody who's been into French stuff like longer than ten years. They'll all be like, "Oh yeah, nobody cared about these, you know, ten, twenty years ago. Nobody wanted them." But now, Bertiers, Labels. I didn't even know. I didn't even know the Bertiers existed. <laughs> That's how obscure <laughs> they were. Yeah, I just didn't know yeah. a lot. Of, a lot of stuff existed, you mm-hmm. know, years ago, right? Just there was only German and American surplus. That's the only guns that existed. But even then, even right. even American surplus, the M nineteen seventeen, all of a sudden that's suddenly oh, yeah. worth a lot more yeah. money. Those yeah. those were not those were not uh, valued at the same level as the nineteen oh three. I bought mine for six hundred bucks, and yeah, the nine it was nineteen oh three is worth thousand dollars. There's yeah. still a thousand dollars. I think I got I, I got mine for I think it was like four hundred and something bucks. Yeah. Um, about seven years ago, eight years ago, I just, something like that. The 1917s have exploded in value. I just, I don't know if that's as a result of just uh, World War One media. The centennial, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. World yeah. War One exactly. media. I think, I think it's a little bit of both. I think th- they, I think they're getting more recognized now as being really good. A lot of people think the 1917 is the best, like bolt action milserp, which it does have some good characteristics. But then uh, it's just, yeah, it's got some downsides, which I think a lot of people it's, kind of it's, ignore. It's a big, chunky guy. It's so heavy. It's heavy. Big, it's chunky. Heavy. Heavy. Big, chungus. Thick. With two Cs. Yeah. It was on my <laughs> top. Uh, what did I the video with you? It was on my top three mil. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's it's heavy, but this some bitch shoots. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's one. Great deals on Oh, sorry. They made real quick. They made sorry, they made a 1917 carbine. Yeah, the, like, the Chinese one, right? Or the one uh, that they used in China. No, there's an American one. This is just what I heard. Okay, I'll caveat this. That it's just what I heard. I recently saw a collector who had a 1917 carbine, and he's like, "This is a legit one." There's one of there's like five of them in the United States. I have one. Ian has one. Um, and he knows Ian has one because he was going to sell one of his to Ian or something like that. So apparently that's a thing. 1917 mm. carbine. They look pretty cool. Pretty Cause cool. I think the, yeah. like they're longer, like guns look weird. Like you could look at a 1917. It didn't look that long. Cause it's so thick. 
like oh, the length long. doesn't really show. They are long. They're too long. I mean, so, it's it's a World I mean, War One era gun. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a World War One era gun, so obviously, and, like, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be big. Have you ever shot your Honduran one, Danny? Fucking well, technically yes. Uh, I fucking tried like three times, man. <laughs> I went out with Nilsert Mike, and uh, I shot so many different types of surplus seven millimeter Mauser ammo that I had in my collection. And so I'd, so I'd bring like a box from this type from this country and this time period and whatever, whatever, whatever. And I would try to shoot it all. And I got a couple hang fires. So like I've shot it twice because I only like some, two rounds of the ammo. So I'm just going to shoot like commercial through it or something next time I go out. Cause it's been really hit or miss trying to get here. I'll, I thought my uh... seven millimeter Mauser was better. I'll share this for you guys so you can see. This is a, a post on uh, TFB from Othias, and that is the carbine. If you go I have to click on the watch screen. stream on here. Yeah, you have to click watch stream. Yeah. I would argue that's a short oh, that's rifle. A, yeah, that's, they, it's they, funny. They, they designated it a carbine. That that's why he called it a carbine. Gotcha. I feel that's like, like, I, uh, that's like 24-ish inches. Looks That's like why I would argue it's a short says, rifle. Yeah. Uh, what does he say? I just shot my 1917 for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was it was good. It was fun. I, I yeah. 41 total. Uh, it was so heavy. That was the really the only drawback. But yeah, speaking of watching good shooters, good deal. yeah, I, got, uh, I got mine. Yeah. For, Go ahead. Sorry, man. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of Washington, good deals. When I first started getting into mill syrup i saw the 1917 and i love the way they look but then i found out how much the price was and it's like yeah these usually go for like 900 to 1200 dollars and it's like okay i'm never gonna get one uh and then at a gun show in washington i found an eddie stone for 520 dollars uh and this was in march of 22 so you just, just gotta get lucky sometimes through those shows in washington and boy i don't know about i don't know about yours but if you flip the site up so if you have it in battle site it's like 150 to 200 if you flip the site up it's actually 100 yard zero. Oh no way nice i think i'm i think i'm trying to remember what i shot it at i think it was like 100 yards so, so we do been helpful they do um this competition it's not oh it's a it's a like kind of a chance thing you pay five dollars for two rounds and you shoot offhand, no rest, standing at 100 yards, or it's like 90 yards, and you shoot at eggs, and I've oh, shot man. eggs with mine, standing, just boom. And I've hit them. I think I've got three or a ham and a turkey with it. Like, it, it, they're accurate guns. I'll have them. <laughs> I love that. I think they're really good stationary guns. They're mm-hmm. really good when you're sitting at a bench yeah. or, or maybe just standing, <laughs> and you're going to fire, you know, five or six rounds and then put it down. Mm-hmm. They're good for that. Yep. Like another gun we've talked about, Danny. <laughs> the boring one. Talked about a lot of guns. The boring one. Um, I'm going to bring us back. All right, bring us back to yeah. the actual topic yeah. of conversation. I'm going to bring us back to the topic. So, so again, right, all of these things, you, you just, if you Google, like, what should I do about personal finance? You're going to find some variation on this. So none of this is new. And I just, again, I think it's just critical for collectors and particularly young collectors to get a handle on. So take this as a, uh, you know, 
pick this again is just like, hey man, your future self will thank you very much if you if you do these things. Um, so first off is you know the key to being successful is not uh, always being in debt and if you or at least bad debt. Um, and so if you're constantly like your car's breaking down and you have to sell your next milsurp in order to drive to your work, um, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a good collection. And so having an emergency fund is going to be critical. So I think you talk to different people about how much of an emergency fund you should have, um, because the key here is you want it to be accessible. So you want it in cash. You don't want it in some investment that you're going to take several days to get access to, and you might buy you know pull it out of the market at the wrong time, et cetera, et cetera. So some people say have a thousand dollars as kind of a starter emergency fund that'll cover a lot of just everyday type emergencies, um, but then the goal should be something like three to six months worth of expenses. So that's you know your rent, your mortgage, uh, groceries, et cetera, et cetera. So like if you lost your job, having no income for six months and just living off of that would be kind of a goal. Um, so next is it's always important to be working towards paying off debt. And particularly if it's high interest debt, you should be paying that off as fast as possible on non-essential things. Because, you know, really high interest debt is literally throwing away money at interest. Um, I use credit cards, but I have never paid a single penny in interest on credit cards because I pay them off before the end of the month. That way I get all the benefits of credit cards like, you know, mileage and deals and access to lounges and all that good stuff. Um, but I'm not paying the interest on things that I, you know, purchased when I didn't actually have the money. Uh, so, I want so, a nice little tip on that, just so you know. If yeah. you don't pay the card off, you leave $5 on it, and you buy something else, that actually will increase your credit score rapidly versus paying mm-hmm. it off all the way. That actually will not do as good because you're not leaving money out there for them to check your credit on. So I would not suggest you pay off your card. I would suggest you leave, like, What's what's seventeen percent interest on five dollars? Is nothing, right? Leave five bucks on it and buy something else. Here's another. You mean like month, like month uh, to month? Yeah, yeah. So let's say let's say you put gas on it to go to work, right? And gas is a hundred dollars yeah. a month. Pay ninety five, and then you get five dollars to roll over, and then you put another hundred dollars on it to go to work, and you pay that hundred dollars, and you still have five dollars on it. You'll actually increase your credit score substantially. Mm. It's ridiculous. And don't go over um, a third. So if you have a thousand dollar limit, don't spend more than three hundred and thirty three dollars. If you do, yeah, for your, yeah, of your utilization. Yep. Just fun, interesting yeah. facts for the people that you know that, that work. I don't know if I'd say with that fun fact. I thought it was a fun fact. It's kinda of sad how I had a lot of hand motion the, the the modern technology and all the bullshit is. But anyway. I mean, there's the another credit score is zero. Oh, uh, and if uh, if you charge on credit cards, don't go above thirty uh, percent of the limit. That's what, what you I just said. said. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, you're not listening. I was reading. No, you were that bad. bored by my fun fact. No, sorry, um, I was uh, reading. My wife knows I'm very bad at uh, multitasking. <laughs> and and so right, you got credit cards, but you've got other kinds of debt as well, right? You got car loans. Um, so don't buy. A bigger car than you need type deal that again i don't want to go into too much into the weeds but everybody should be working towards paying off their debt um there's some debate about good debt versus bad debt particularly in regards to student loans and mortgages um 
I said that I'm a lawyer, uh, and I went to law school with a particular goal of joining the, the Navy JAG Corps, and so I wanted a school that would have low debt, um, and, and it worked out great for me. But I have a lot of colleagues who are doing the literal exact same job as me and have debt, student debt, in the you know two hundred to three hundred thousand dollar range. And it's just nuts, right? So, so I think the key is just being incredibly intentional when you take on debt, like student loans, about what your plan is to pay for it afterwards. Because if you do something that isn't going to be worthwhile, you're going to get stuck. And and then again, all of this kind of ties back to you can't get a. Uh, you can't get the newest, hottest Milserp if all your money is going to your student loan payment every month. Um, yep. And then mortgage, right? Again, there, there's there's all kinds of nuance to all of this. And some people, uh, some financial you know thinkers are like, hey, any mortgage is a bad debt. And other people are like, hey, I'm getting, I'm paying 2.1% interest on this uh, on this chunk of money. And instead I can invest way more into the stock market and get, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 type percent interest. So, but the key is uh, overall, you want to be paying off your debt uh, and moving towards not having any debt um, in order to just maximize your, your potential. So um, another one, speaking of the devil, is the, probably the biggest, um, one of the biggest portions of this is investing for retirement. Um, and I got a whole section and we've already talked a bit, but a whole section on firearms as investments, but, um, regardless of what you invest. And again, this is kind of, this is the personal and personal finance. I would say for me, I have found that index funds, uh, are, are the best. Um, so they're, they're essentially computer generated, um, collections of stocks that you invest in. And so you're diversified by investing in a whole bunch of different stocks in the index fund. Uh, again, the, the kind of jargon and nuance, I think we could get way off the field here. Um, and so I don't necessarily want to do it too much. But the nice thing about index funds as compared to paying for a financial advisor is that index funds are much more likely statistically to uh, match the market because they're they're based on the market itself. You're not trying to hire some latest greatest person who can pick better than the market because the market is you know tied to the index fund. Um, absolutely, the thing we talked about earlier, employer matching of your 401k, it's free money. You would be foolish to not accept a raise. Uh, every year by matching that money, um, right? If your if your employer does a five percent match, that's great. Uh, just put in five percent, and then that's a start. Um, but the uh, the goal should be for everybody. I would say, uh, and you get different thoughts on this, but fifteen to twenty five percent of your pre tax income should be going towards retirement. I would say twenty five percent is aggressive, but a lot of jobs anymore don't have pensions. Um, and I think there can be a risk of relying on other people to pay for your pension. So personal finance, it's all personal. Um, anecdotally, my dad was a pilot for United before he passed away and 9-11 hit and he had, he was all set for success. He was going to get his pension. Everything was going to be good. Uh, and then a terrorist attack happened and it changed the, you know, the whole world and the future of the world. And part of that fallout was united going bankrupt and just canceling everybody's pensions so 
it, you know, it definitely changed the game as far as what the retirement plan was because his retirement plan just got swept out from under him. Um, and so I think being self-reliant on yourself and not on anybody else's pension plan is important. Um, so, right, my job, if I stay till retirement in the Navy, has a great retirement plan. Um, but I'm not planning on that because of any number of things, right? People can, you know, you, you know, you get out of the Navy or you change jobs or whatever. And so um, relying on yourself and investing for retirement at something up to 25% of your income is, is the goal. Um, and 25% sounds like a crazy number, I think, to a lot of people. Um, and I think that's the key here is that starting small, starting at 2%, which is what your match is. And then, okay, next year I'm going to do 3% or 4%. The, the best time to start investing for retirement is yesterday, um, and the next best time is today. So, again, this is, all, this is a little bit dorky, but uh, it's super important because, if nothing else, you want to be able to not have to sell your milserps um, when you run out of money. You want to be able to hold on to them. Unless, again, kind of, Danny, your, your, your anecdotes that you talked about are super interesting, like people actually using their firearms as a 401k. Um, I think that's got some own some of its own inherent risks to it that we can talk about here in a bit about firearms as uh, investments. Um, one last note too is that entire uh, inve investing for retirement should be boring. You know, it's not the TikTok of people wearing you know fancy clothes and driving Ferraris and hey, buy my course for five hundred bucks and then you can be a day trader like me. Those people are preying on you to buy their five hundred dollar course. Investing should be boring. You set it, you look at it maybe once a quarter, you know, rebalance things as, as you, know, you see fit to your risk level, uh, and then just go, it out, go about your business. Always be buying, even when the market's down, because it's like milserks, right? If you get a good deal and it appreciates and goes up later, then you can sell it for more. So that's kind of retirement investing. Next, charitable giving. Um, so, right, obviously... Some religions have, or most religions have, a amount of charitable giving that, that's important. Um, and so, you know, if you're religious, do that or do that partially. Um, if you're not, just be a good citizen, help your neighbors. You know, everybody, uh, you know, a rising tide lifts all the boats. So help out your neighbors. Try to give something like 10%. And again, that's a, that's a lofty goal too. So start small and just ratchet it up year by year. Um, next, wills and trusts. So I said earlier, uh, I'm a lawyer. This is not personal legal advice. Get a lawyer. Um, this is this is advice for you, but it's not legal advice. You need a will. Uh, every person needs a will. That's that's a a thought that um, is debatable, right? So a lot of assets will automatically go to your um the person that you list as your beneficiary right most checking accounts most savings accounts 401ks etc etc um but for me i would say that everybody needs a will costs just a couple hundred dollars you get your assets all set up if you have kids you absolutely need a will um because if nothing else you can establish who you want to raise your kids and where that money is coming from and who's going to get your guns, right? Like that's a, that's a thing that I think every gun owner is probably passionate about is not having a widow or their best buddy or whatever say like, Hey, this Mosin is a 
Let's go into the garbage heap instead of, you know, going somewhere, getting turned into the police as a trade-in or something like that without having some of their best friends have chance to inherit guns or, or otherwise kind of pass on that history and that legacy that got you excited about the firearm in the first place. So um, there's all of that. And then I, I think one key takeaway that ties into Danny or uh, your comment about your video about the spreadsheet, um, which I will absolutely foot stomp is being organized. Um, and I think part of that is things like wills and trusts and ensuring that today when you actually have a voice and you're not on a respirator and, and medically unable to, to make your wishes known, getting organized now and knowing what you're doing in your personal life is going to better protect the ones that you love and prevent them from having to make really difficult emotional decisions later because you've already established what you want. Um, and so part of that, I would say, and this is probably the, the best actionable piece of advice from this podcast, um, is to make a flop, a financial life on one page. So if you take nothing else, make a flop. So what a flop is, is, hey, if you get hit by a bus, your loved one or your executor to your will or whoever is going to handle all of your stuff pulls open this flop and it's your entire your entire life on one page. So it sums up your net worth, um, all the subcomponents of that. Um, it talks about all your debts that you owe, that your estate's going to have to pay off. It has all of your uh, information on logins, right, on your Facebook. So you can turn off your Facebook account or make it a legacy account or, you know, log into the utilities to pay for um, to pay for the, you know, the house that you're now living in that, you know, your people are living in that you've passed away. So keep it offline, obviously, like collecting everything, right? Your, your bank accounts, your credit cards, everything into one document. You definitely don't want it living online. Uh, my that advice anyway, maybe you're comfortable right? with it. That should be in the yeah. cloud. I yeah. can post it on Facebook, right? That's, that's the cloud. Yeah. 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 Probably. It's probably good. Right. Okay. So so for me, I keep it. I keep mine offline, and I keep redundant copies, so that if my house burns down, for instance, then uh, it's not going to. I'm not going to lose all of that work that I put into making this flop. Um, but this, you know, kind of getting again into personal or anecdotal, this became really important to me when my dad passed away. Um, so my dad died of cancer, and I was very, very lucky enough to be able to be with him for the last couple months teleworking. Um, and we just we had a conversation once uh, as he, you know, he was still a few weeks off from passing away, but he sat down and my sister sat next to him with a notebook and a pen. And my dad was a, a pilot and an engineer and just like a super brilliant person. And he literally just rattled off the passwords and the user IDs for every utility company and every bank account and his, you know, his 401k and his health insurance and every, like, no joke, probably 50 different permutations on, like, very slightly different passwords, you know what I mean? Like, everybody does that where they just, like, change a couple numbers here. Every single one, he just rattled those off. If my dad would have died before that, we would have been so screwed, like, unbelievably screwed. And so it really got me into gear to think, hey, if I die... My wife is going to have to do all of this that I had to do, and it sucked, but at least it was wildly organized because I had that conversation with my dad. And so what I wanted is to make sure that nobody ever has to be in that position in my household of, 
making sure that I live long enough to sit down with them and write it out. Um, and thank goodness my dad was that smart and had the chance to do it because otherwise it would have been extremely difficult. So, so do yourself and your loved ones a favor by making a flop or, 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 you know, if it's not this tool, it's, it's something that you do to become organized, um, and get it together. So mm-hmm. again, I, I'm, I'm a little bit on a soapbox, but I think this is the kind of life advice that, uh, that not everybody talks about and and it takes work to actually get organized and put your put your guns in a spreadsheet but once you have that spreadsheet once you've actually done the work you just you feel better because my wife who literally can't I, I love her to death but she can't identify a single firearm different than a different one you know it's like that's a mosin it's like well actually babe that's a veterly but you got not anywhere close um she and, got the name uh, my, so, my wife couldn't even do that and you know it's not because yeah. she's not intelligent; she just doesn't have any interest in it. So, yeah, yeah, and and there's that. I think we'll, we'll talk here in a minute about a different concept, which is like I live in fear that my spouse is going to sell my guns for what I told her I paid paid for them. Type oh, deal, yeah. you know that 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 joke. boomer. Uh, I hate that joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate that joke, and we'll talk about it here in a second. But don't let that be your reality have a have a spreadsheet and that way she can go through and match it match the guns by serials because she won't know physically what they look like oh yeah yeah and yeah, so you know do a, it that's a big one if you want to be even more organized take a picture that's that's what i do is that my i have a picture of the gun and so again they all kind of look alike to her but right this one this one has a, a bayonet attached to it, and this one doesn't, but it's longer, right? So it, it at least gets her in the ballpark, and then the serial numbers will actually get her all the way through. So uh, a flop is is wildly important regardless of if you collect guns. You know, I think every person should have a flop. Every person should have a will, and it's just it's a good thing to have. So... Um, with that kind of again, those are just those are just general things that a person should be aware about. Um, for some resources that you should start looking into, I think a person should read a lot of different financial advice from all different thinkers to figure out what works for you. Because some people will have different perspectives. Um, Danny and I had a conversation earlier today, and he asked if I like Dave Ramsey. Um, Dave Ramsey is a, a kind of polarizing figure who. Uh, is well known for his ability to help people work through paying off debt. Um, Dave Ramsey is, I think, really cool um, and also has limitations. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the, the Dave Ramsey advice is incredible for folks that have found themselves stuck in debt. Um, and also, I think, you know, no offense to him, and I think he's wildly smart and has way more money than I ever will, so it worked for him. Um, but I would say that his investing advice is not something that I personally agree with. Um, and, you know, things like paying off your mortgage as fast as possible, I would say statistically is a good way to shoot yourself in the foot on investing for retirement when you have a low, uh, you know, a low interest mortgage rate. Um, but so Dave Ramsey is somebody to listen to. My favorite um, financial uh, advisors or folks that, that give out advice are Brian Preston and Bo Hansen. They have a YouTube show called The Money Guy. Um, they're 
Uh, Brian is in his, I think, upper 40s, maybe early 50s, and Bo is in his mid-30s. So they've got a good perspective on a lot of things, and their advice fits well with what I want my financial life to look like, where it's just, again, it's boring. You you contribute 25% of your pay every paycheck, and you just let it sit there, and you check in, and you rebalance every once in a while, um, and you don't shy away from spending money on things that are going to make your life better or give you more time, you know, things like that. So they're good. Um, Jeff Bogle and Bogleheads. So Jeff Bogle is kind of the the godfather of and the inventor of the index fund. Um, so check him out if you if you're interested in kind of very passive using algorithms rather than picking out some hot shot financial advisor to to make you money. Um, Susie Orman, the uh, the money book for the young, fabulous and broke. I read this book in law school and realized that like my life wasn't very financially organized and I needed to you know, kind of make some changes and think about what we wanted to do after we started earning some income. Um, Beth Koblener's Get a Financial Life. That's a really good one. Um, Brett McKay, The Art of Manliness. Uh, if you haven't read The Art of Manliness, it's awesome. And it's not just about, uh, not just about finances. He's got all kinds of cool things about just, I don't know, all types of different yeah. Yeah, I first like I first I discovered got, like, him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I first discovered yeah. him because he had a really good uh, article about the importance of roughhousing with kids, and yeah. uh, specifically like a father's role in that because dads tend to be the ones that rough roughhouse with their kids, and uh, and I keep hearing more and more about that how that's like super like mentally beneficial for for kids to you know to to roughhouse with them and play with them and throw them around and all that, all that sort of stuff. So my, my dad yeah, knocked no. out one of my teeth when I was a kid. And then it was, was that a permanent one? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I had like a missing oh, tooth for like three years. And my mom didn't know about it. <laughs> was like, don't tell your mother. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. it, was, it was, it was a baby tooth. <laughs> yeah. 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 My son chipped a tooth and it's a baby tooth. So we're like, Oh, well, thank goodness. It's not a permanent one, but, uh, Took him to the dentist, and they were like, "Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty common." Yeah, happens. Yeah, he's not one to get out of my head. Gosh, it's crazy. I love. Yeah, I love Brett McKay. His his website is just a great, you know, great place to just lose yourself for a long time. Um, read an article recently about how important it is to take a bath as compared to a shower. And it talked about like, hey, after warriors in the Iliad and the Odyssey, they returned from slaughtering everybody on the battlefields of Troy. You take a Homeric bath to to recenter yourself and and figure out what you're doing next. Just like odd stuff, right? Like it's not yeah, just yeah. all financial, all over the place, but all really interesting. Um, so, but he's got he's got some really good articles on just like the fundamentals. Like, hey, how do I make an emergency fund? I can't rub two pennies together. How do I get there? Um, and yeah, great, great starter point. Um, and then lastly is Trent Ham from the Simple Dollar. He talks a lot about kind of frugality and and contentment and how to how to make your budget stretch. So um, those are just again just kind of good resources to. Those are the experts. I'm not an expert. I just I'm passionate about this topic. Um, and so next, I think. What do you guys think? Should we shift to your spouses and money? I think that's an interesting topic. Danny, you, you talked yeah. about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's your, funny. Uh, I talked to my wife okay. about this and she was like, you're not going to talk. 
bad about me, are you? I'm the, the spouse part. But yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think there's. I think that's a, important. To, uh, oh, sorry, man. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'll just. Say, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll just say right, like personal finance is uh, part of the personal piece is that it, it's it's invasive, um, and so nobody has to share anything that they don't want to share or talk about their own personal stuff. I'll talk about mine because I think it's let us be really happy with how we spend our money. Um, but obviously nobody needs to share any details. They don't want to, um, sorry, Danny, what, and what were you going to say? Oh, uh, well, yeah, the, 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 the partner, your, your spouse or what have you is a very interesting part of the whole personal finance part. Well, just collecting in general and how supportive they are and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know if you want to start on it first before I dive into before I dive yeah. into it. Yeah, definitely. So, so I'll I'll start off by saying that my wife and I married um, at 21. I'm I'm 32 now, so we've been married a little bit over a decade. Um, and when we got married, we were seniors in college. We had almost no money. We went right from college to law school, where we had. Uh, my wife was a teacher, um, and I obviously wasn't making any money. So law school was real rough, um, uh, money-wise. Uh, I literally sold plasma to uh, get gas money. Um, so it can, you know, this is, uh, and that's kind of where this this concept really, that, again, this is kind of why I'm passionate about it. It's like, hey, I came from some challenging times earlier in my young adulthood, and so this is really important to for me to to talk to friends about and, and teach kids. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I think your mileage varies depending on when you meet your spouse, right? If you're coming into a marriage with a super high income and they are also coming into a marriage with a super high income or there's an imbalance or whatever, that's going to change your philosophy. But for us, we have combined finances because it's just maybe we're more traditional, but that's what we, that's what we started with where neither of us had any money. And so it just, it made sense. And so we, we rely on each other. Um, and honestly, our possessions are, are each other's. Um, and so for me, that's, that's the way that it works for me. That's something that is pretty fundamental to my own marriage, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it's, it's, you know, better than, or you can't do something else because everybody's different. And what works for your own marriage is, is what works for your marriage. And that, and that's the key is finding some sort of compromise that's going to work for your marriage. Uh, because I'll, I'll say up front that I think the kind of jokes or the actual like dishonesty with your spouse about how much you're going to spend on your collecting is a real bad idea. Yeah. 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 It's like, yes, the, the folks who are like, I just snuck in another gun because she can't tell the difference. That's really shitty. Like that's a shitty thing to do to a person that you love. Like if you're going to make a decision to spend, you know, to spend a couple hundred dollars on an object, do it together. Right. And like, if it's, Hey, I don't care what money you spend so long as I can spend it on my hobby. That's great. Um, Dave Ramsey had a thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, man. Oh, I was going to say, that's essentially how my wife and I handle things, too. Uh, we, we don't have a combined finances. We have split finances. So we have, each of us have our own bank accounts. Because we were already um, pretty much established in careers by the time we met each other. Um, so um, it was just, we just didn't care to combine them. It was, to be honest, a difficult thing to do. And we were just like, screw it. So she handles payments of certain 
bills. I handle payments of other bills out of mine and we just kind of split it that way. But uh, as far as like discretionary income, like we both trust each other to not screw us as far as the family goes to pay for the bills that we're rec- responsible for. So I don't have to like, like uh, necessarily go and say, Hey, I mean, I'll, I'll tell her if I'm going to buy something, but I'm not, I'm not going to have to let, I'm not, let me say, I'm not seeking permission and I'm not sneaking it in. So she trusts yep. me. She trusts me to have control enough that I can pay the bills and have extra income in case we need it. And, and then still also purchase something like that. So we, and I trust her the same way. So she just bought some stuff. She wanted to do some, uh, she wanted to get a, a hobby and she was looking into stamping jewelry. And so she just bought a whole thing for that. And, you know, sure, whatever, go for, go for it, you know? So she, she can do her own thing. We do, I do my own thing and we just, it, it just works for us. At least it works better separately. And I understand the yeah, both yeah. approaches. Um, I do the same thing you do. Yeah. Same reasons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it was just, you know, like you said, you started with nothing. So it was just easier to combine it then. And, and then we already had ourselves like, I, we, I, I didn't meet her until my late twenties or her late twenties, my, my mid twenties. So, um, it was 2013 when we got married. Uh, so it'll be our 10 year anniversary this year. Um, and, um, yeah. Um, but the, um, uh, it was just easier to just leave it separate and then us just, one of us pays for this, one of us pays for that and so on and so forth. But the key thing, like you said, is the trust. Like I trust her to be an adult and not spend a bunch of money on something that she doesn't necessarily need to. And then to have no money to pay for a bill. Yep. Yep. And the same goes for me. Yeah, that just that kind of, yeah, that fundamental trust and compromise and making sure that it's clearly communicated and agreed upon, I think is awesome. I also agree. So, I also yeah. agree that those jokes are horrible. And I hate whenever mm-hmm. I see, yeah. I see, and I know people that do that, though, that do sneak stuff in uh, because they, uh, I'm not, I don't want to comment on somebody's relationship that I don't know necessarily everything about, but. I, I don't think that's a healthy way of doing anything. I don't think that's a good way so, of doing uh, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Trust is key. I don't like sneaking. I'm too excited to show my wife whatever I bought. And she's usually just like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, yeah, I don't my know wife doesn't care. I've, I've learned whatever. to just not bother. Yeah. Just like, she's like, what's that box? Oh, it's a gun. Okay. Mine's yeah, the other end. Trust. Mine's so excited. What did you get now? <laughs> she wants to see it and mess with it. Mm-hmm. So mine's the other way. She's an enabler. That's almost like yeah. worse because it, it kind of is like, sometimes. Because you're just and then like, I'll do. You can get that. Yeah, you can get that. And then it'll be. Um, can I take pictures with it? Sure. <laughs> so like put pictures on uh-huh. her like whatever the hell social media she uses. I don't even know. And but like it's like oh look at this cool picture I took with the Luger and the MG34. I'm like oh that's. You want a belt of ammo for that? You know, like you can make this cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I think important. Think... Just to touch on, it, yeah, we we have uh, we do combine, so I guess we're kind of split two and two. But we kind of started at at sort of zero, so it's probably a little bit easier for us. But uh, like, I don't have to necessarily ask for permission. 
because she knows I'm not going to go crazy. But just just between us, just between us here, don't tell anybody. I sometimes use my wife as a crutch. If there's something that like maybe somebody wants me to buy or whatever, I'm like, I don't think my wife, I don't think my wife would be too happy if I brought that home. I probably do that a little more often than I should. And when I make, when I say that, I get the, oh, well, see, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the sneaking them in kind of things. I, I've heard them all from all the old timers at all the gun shows. I've heard the, the, oh, yeah, well, see what you do is you take three rifle cases with you. And then you just, <laughs> you know, they're empty. She doesn't know if they're empty or not. So she just, these three rifle cases coming in, you know, going out and three coming in. I, yeah, I hear all the all the, the, the sneaking things. And I do know guys that straight up do that. Um, but I, it seems the, those guys that I talk to their, their finances, I don't really know their finances actually, but I think about a couple of them, I feel like maybe are combined and, but, um, yeah, I think it's the trust aspect is, is pretty huge when it comes to it. Um, yeah. So the number, right, the number one most fought about thing among spouses is money. And so uh, I think that applies applies to this hobby because if this hobby does take money. Uh, even if you get great deals on stuff, you're still spending money that could otherwise go towards insert XYZ. And so, yeah, Danny, you hit it right on the head. I think trust, however you do it, trust and communication and agreement is and compromise is going to be the you know the way to succeed so so for us we do fun money so discretionary money so we've got all of our goals that we're we're hitting um but we found that both of us would spend money on things that didn't interest the other person before we set up this fun money concept and then the other person would feel kind of resentful, and then you would feel guilty for spending the money, right? So if I'm going to buy a video game that Mandy has, my wife Mandy has no interest in playing, I'm like, all right, I just, you know, it feels selfish. Uh, and if she buys some sort of art or crafting thing that I have no interest in personally doing, again, it feels selfish. And then she feels guilty, like, oh, man, I shouldn't buy this. But we have the money to do so, right? Like, again, this is after you've kind of met your met your goals. And again, all of this is scalable, right? If you're making $20,000, you should be able to do this. You might only get $15 a month on fun money. And, and frankly, buying a Millsurp might take you many months to do it. And that's not necessarily a, a workable hobby. Uh, or the flip side, you might make $200,000. And this is, this is the, the way to do it. Um, so for us, we, we each do a few hundred dollars every month. Um, and for me on my side of the house, I found that there were guns that I would run into at gun shows that I had done my research on that I knew were worth way more than they were marked, but they were still like, it was like a $700 gun, but I knew it was like a thousand or $1,500 gun. So if you break, right, break $1,500 by $300 a month in fun money, that means that for five months, I am literally paying just to buy this gun, but right, it's only marked at 750. So, so we came up with this thing where I have a limit on how much money I can go into debt to the family on in order to buy milserps that would otherwise be outside my price range. And then for me, it's like, okay, I can either sacrifice and spend nothing for five months, or I can enjoy the gun and then pass it on for its actual market value and then increase my collection and not have that money. So, so right, again, it's 
it's equal because if Mandy wants to do the same thing, she sure can. Um, and frankly, with the, the money is kind of all arbitrary, uh, that are the, the dollar amounts are arbitrary because again, our, the rest of our financial goals are met. So I can go into debt from the family on, on funding, fun money, fun money purchases. Uh, and, but again, it's just, it's whatever works for your family. So I think that's one thing is establishing a money amount that each person gets every month. Um, another thing is occasion by occasion. So you have a gun show once a month. Hey, Michael, you can go to that gun show and once a month at a gun show, you can buy one gun or two guns. And meanwhile, Mandy can go to an antique store and buy one big antique once a month or, or whatever, however you do it. You can do trade-offs. So Dave Ramsey has a clip that talks about this kind of concept of fun money. And it's literally, it's about guns. Uh, and the husband is like, man, I just want to buy more guns because we have the money to do it. And, and there's no reason not to, but my wife kind of gets upset because she doesn't have any interest in that, but we have the money. And I think that's kind of the key point is you have the money to do it. You know, right. You're, you're saving for retirement. You've paid off your debt. You're working on your mortgage, all those kind of boring steps that we talked about. Once you're, lock solid on those foundational pieces, then you can kind of really start to, you know, grow your collection because you've got, you got the basics locked down. So anyway, on this clip, Dave Ramsey says, Hey, for me and my wife, whenever I buy a new gun, cause Dave Ramsey is a big gun guy. Apparently whenever I buy a new gun, my wife gets a, a luxury purse. So you do a trade one, one object for, you know, one and one object for the other. So that works. Um, another one is like, Hey, buying, you know, a yearly limit. I've talked to people that are like, I can buy 15 guns a year, or I can buy 12 guns a year. And so if you buy 15 guns in January, tough cookies, man. Like, I don't care if it's the best deal you ever see in your life uh, in, in February, you've already bought your limit. Um, and I think that's the key of communication and agreement, because if you're like, oh, oh, but, but I could just, you know, please, please, babe, can I buy this? Like, and, and that's just setting everybody else up for, for, some tension and some, maybe some arguments later on. So, so I think there's a bunch of different ways to do it, but really just kind of gets back to that fundamental communication and ensuring that your spouse is okay and happy with what you're doing. Because if you're sneaking guns into the house or you're lying about how much you're spending on your guns, it's just going to come out and bite you. Right? Like, and, and, and frankly, like, even if it doesn't, it's not right. It's not a loving thing to do to the person that, that you've, you've said that you, you know, you wanted to marry. So that's my take. Um, but, uh, I have a, I have a sort of joke about, so like if you're at a show and you see like a a gun for $700 that you know is $1,500, I always say, babe, I'm losing, we're losing money, not buying it. Yeah. That's my thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good uh, two last quick things, and then I think I'll, I'll transition off your off your story there, Danny. Um, so, right again, um, as a spouse, and you know you've got your main job, and then you got your hobby. If you want to have more money for your hobby, trade some time to get more income. Right, either you know do Uber or DoorDash or some other side gig, mowing lawns, etc. Like, hey babe, can I wake up early? Yep, yeah. donating plasma, right? And it works. That's it's not it's people. Not pretty. That's direct. That's directly helping people too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say it was super sketchy, right? Like, uh, uh, I mean, the, some of the, the ones I've been we to, to yes, but some of them are yeah, pretty nice but, too. But it paid. It paid for gas money that we needed. Um, you know, so uh, 
Um, transition, yeah. So, Danny, you just said we're losing money if we if we leave this gun on the table. Um, so I want to shift to kind of guns as investments. Um, we talked a little bit about it already, but I love the section, Danny, on your podcast when you and your wife did the marriage and guns episode, and you guys got into this great discussion about uh, – basically that of like hey we you know we're losing money if we if we don't buy this gun and she pointed out well yeah but then we have to sell it to actually access the money and i think that's an interesting concept that people have different perspectives on and like for me i will buy a gun to enjoy it and in the back of my head it'll be like okay this doesn't quite fit the collection so i'm probably going to sell it at some point but it's a good deal and i want to buy it and enjoy the history now and then do so um but i actually have to sell it because I've bought other guns where it's like, oh, that's a great deal. I'm going to buy that and then, you know, sell it. And then it ends up permanently in my collection because I just can't let go of it. Uh, and so getting access to the the actual money value of, of these objects because they're not liquid, uh, it's interesting. So, so, Danny, say some more about um, kind of your thoughts on, on that. Or anyone, Jared or, or Aaron. If you want to talk some, Jared. Notice, dude. You can tell it's getting late, and I'm on the East Coast. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, no, that's fine. Um, I'm bad because I don't sell a lot of stuff, but I look at it as a long-term investment, not a short-term investment. So, yeah. um, and typically, I but the thing too is I won't buy something unless it's a decent deal. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to pay over market value for your whatever. I don't care because. I can find something else to spend to invest my money on. Yeah. It's just, just my mentality of it. Like something else will come along. Yeah. I don't typically, unless it's something I really want, I don't pay retail for stuff. I got to really, really like it to pay retail or close to retail. Um, But I think that's, I think that's a big key too. a friend of mine. uh, He once said, you don't make money on the sell. You make money on the buy. So mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where you you it just has to be a really good price. And um typically like I don't have to buy anything. And like I'm some people ask me like, "Hey, are you looking for anything in particular?" And I usually just say, "I'm just looking for good deals." Because yep. that's what I like. Yep. I like I like the hunt. And uh we mentioned kind of earlier about the uh like the the the, the dopamine hit or whatever and like that's probably my favorite part about collecting guns is finding a really good deal. And oh my goodness, oh I can't believe I got this. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I when I hit hit up my honey hole that one time, and uh, and I bought like three or four guns because I got like I got my my red nine that I paid uh, nine ninety nine for, and a few other guns. I just got fantastic screaming deals out of this place, and I have all these guns, you know, back in, and I'm like. I just, I know I had this, the, like the largest dopamine hit, you know, and I was like, I think I joked with my wife. I was like, babe, I don't need drugs. I have milserps, you know, cause that was, I just felt, you know, it's, it's a, it's a real, it's a real good, uh, good, good sort of feeling. And, uh, so you get it vicariously too. Uh, like yeah. I've listened to that episode just to listen to that section, Danny, where you talk about like just the excitement of them laying a red nine on the table or the your Remington Rand, and it was just like they don't realize that this is a Remington Rand, and just I own that. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty sure I own that Remington Rand. 
Yeah, it might have. It might have went to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a there's a couple. Sure there's safe. a couple. There's a couple ones. Yeah, that went to. I would have kept it. It was a really nice one. Uh-huh. I would have kept it, but I have my grandfather's Remington. Yeah. My grandfather was in the Navy in World War II, and he brought one back for some reason, and uh, so it's that was in my family and went to my dad, and then when he passed, it went. It went to me, but um, yeah. So it's it's one of those. It's one of those things I typically don't buy unless it's a really good price. And my wife trusts me. I've we've built up trust. And like I could tell her, one of her things, she used to say it more than she does now, but she used to say that, well, well something's only worth what somebody will pay for. It. And that's really true, too. And that's why I kind of like on my, on my spreadsheet, like I kind of undervalue stuff. I tend to undervalue it because um, I'd rather, you know, stuff sell, you know, faster, faster than not. And typically when I sell stuff, I don't try to like get every single penny I possibly could out of it or whatever. I'm like, this is a, you know, I sell for what I think is pretty fair, but, uh, yeah, it's so by making, I think because I look at it like an investment, like I never buy anything to flip. I never buy anything. You know, I always think about mainly the channel. Can I make a video on this? Has anybody else made a video on this? I've got to use this with other stuff. Could I shoot this? Whatever. So I'm always kind of thinking about stuff like that. And uh, so there's that aspect of it, but which I guess is kind of like side gig investing or whatever. I had to do my taxes this year. We just did our taxes and like I had a bunch of stuff from the channel all on my on my taxes. And I had to pay the government a lot of money for Millsurp World, like a surprising amount of money for Millsurp World. <laughs> like I was like, what? But uh, yeah, because it's all 1099. It's all like so, you know, no, no, the, like no W2 kind of tax break. Um, crazy yeah so uh so so anyway it's so i i look at it the investment and you you make the money and the figuratively with the with the investment on the buy so i always buy the good deals if something even if i don't have any interest in it if it's a really good deal i'll buy it because you know long-term investment sort of sort of strategy with with this but this isn't our only sort of investment what i told my wife is that like we when we reach like 65 70 or whatever you know um i'm planning on selling like 90 percent of this 95 percent or whatever you know give my give my kids a few you know that the, whatever their favorites are sell the rest and we could just kind of you know we could buy an rv or something with that and don't buy an rv kind of just live our lives but don't buy an rv oh buy yeah only because you sell and it tow it all right <laughs> and travel trailer do not buy an rv they're fucking useless truck and oh well i mean maybe maybe in 40 years they'll be better no they will all be they'll be tesla (laughs) electric you know the difference between a hundred thousand dollar rv and a million dollar rv they'll all all be flying in 40 years man yeah that's it yeah no but that's no sorry good i was gonna say do you guys count your firearms as part of like your net worth oh for sure for me yeah and i didn't for a long time because it I mean, long time. I've only been collecting for two years, but uh, until recently, I, I didn't because it was like, well, I, I don't have any plan to sell it. And then I got to thinking like, well, and then also like, well, and it's not liquid. But then I got thinking about like our cars, right? Like I don't have any plans to sell our car and it's not a liquid asset, but it costs money and it is worth something. And uh, therefore, like it should go on my net worth statement. And so I added mine to to my net worth. Um and uh again it's just kind of all keeping it in perspective of of your investments um too so and again it's all it's all personal like for me like 
I would be kind of scared to have uh, a, a large portion of my net worth be in my firearms as compared to like the stock market, you know? Um, but that's, that's me. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting concept. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, definitely. It's one of those things. I think, I think when you get to a certain number, it gets a little nerve wracking mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and difficult, but and that's uh, actually quick, quick side point about gun insurance too. So if you've got a collection and it's worth a fair amount of money, make sure that you know what your rental or your uh, house uh, home insurance policy is on it, because a lot of them don't cover things like firearms. And so you want to get insurance above and beyond it. Um, I'm sitting here saying this and convicting myself because I don't have firearms insurance and I need to get mine because I'm at that point where it's, again, it's on my net worth statement. So if my house burned down, I would. It's, it's a lot more expensive than you might think, or at least like once you get to a certain level, it's like, it's kind of for, for me, at least with mine, I, I looked, I looked into it and it's like. It's a really large expense. Like it's more expensive than you might mm-hmm. think to insure it. And I, I'm not sure why. But the other thing with that too is if you plan, like if you have, like I have certain guns in my collection that like I would, like they're not the best shape. Like I only want one of them. They're not the best shape. If I ever found a better one, I'd probably buy it and sell mine to pay for it or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, that, and that sort of thing, whenever you have an insurance policy, if your guns sort of like change or you have a, like a rotating collection, um, it could kind of get more difficult with that because yeah. um, then you're yeah. constantly having to update your policy with the, with new guns, new, you know, and the new values can change the policy amount and, and stuff like that. So there's, it's, it's good. It's one of those things that's good to have, but it is also more expensive than you might expect it to be. Um, especially with certain amounts. Um, on the, uh, on the discord, Danny, you should check back. I don't remember who it was. I think Holmes was one person, but there was a couple of people that were talking about what policies they had and how much it was. And I want to say it was like $300 a year, which I don't know if that's about how much you were saying, but um, just double check that. There, there was some discussion here in the last couple months hmm. about it, which I need to go back to because for me, it's like, yeah, $30 a month. Like that's not terrible. Um, but if it's, if it's no, crazy expensive, uh, you know, if it's going to be way more than that, then yeah, that does kind of get like, okay, is this, is this worth it? Or am I going to spend yeah, all this no, money? And no. the ones I saw, it was like multiple thousands of year, a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, know how much like total value and stuff like that plays into it, but, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's just been kind of one of those, one of those things. Um, um, and I, I recognize it's getting super late, so I want yeah, to just toss one last to cut out soon. <laughs> no, you're good, man. One last topic, quick, and it's kind of sentimental, and we'll uh, we'll cut us all free for the night. But um, it's just kind of inheritance and in guns. So I mentioned at the beginning that uh, my dad passed away, and that's the first guns that I inherited. Uh, and I was really close with my dad, um, and so having these objects means a lot to me. I think in particular because my collecting in a lot of ways is kind of living out a living out a an interest that I didn't show in them when he was alive. Um, and kind of I regret that. Ooh. So my dad was a big hunter um, and I wouldn't say that he was interested in milserps, but uh, did use hunting guns and, and target shooting and things like that. And I just for whatever reason, I didn't I didn't get interested in it. 
Um, and so now I see my interest as a way to kind of honor my dad and just enjoy the, the history and the being outdoors and all that good stuff that comes with this hobby and pass it on to my son, you know, and say, Hey, this is grandpa's, this is grandpa's gun. And this, this shotgun was his grandpa's gun. And so just the, the layers of generations there. And honestly, that's like at some level, right. We're all going to die at some point. And, and so the purpose behind this hobby is our own enjoyment now. And, and you can get a little, I think a little too academic or a little too squ- squishy on this where people are like, you're not, you don't own it. You're just uh you're just a caretaker for the next generation. It's like, okay, like, yeah, that's a little dorky, but, but I think the, the kind of the background to that or the, the underlying thing of like, Hey, these, these objects only matter um, because of the people that carried them, be it the soldiers in the past or the people that you inherited it from um, or the people you're going to give it to. And so, you know, no matter how much you love your guns, no matter how much you love the history and the, and what's, uh, um, what's important about them, try to get your loved ones involved, you know, be it friends or family, like talk to them, stay up late to them, talk about your guns. Cause eventually your guns are going to be theirs. And, and, uh, you trade any one of your guns to just have a little bit more time. So it's kind of sappy, of but the, I, I was thinking of all the Deutsche Soldaten on the Eastern front. They're just caretakers to the, to the next generation. <laughs> 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 they didn't know it. Wow. They didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything wow, they used. Wow. Yeah. I when I found out I was I was having a son, my first son, I went out and I bought a uh, a Mauser uh, twenty two for him, uh, a DSM, the Deutsche Sport model in twenty two, uh, made by Mauser, and I got a picture of him. I take a picture of him every six months with it. So when he was six months old, a year old. Uh, 18 months and then here coming up at his uh two two year i'll have a have a picture with him so i bought that for him and that's my that's my plan is to get him involved and he has his own has his own gun even before he was before he was born so i love it it's awesome i'll teach my kids how to shoot with an m95 (laughs) really really light loaded hell no Let's bring him out to the mule farm you invested in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I cannot believe you still got me with that. That's ridiculous. That's good. I'm so mad at myself. I'm like, what? I thought we were talking about firearms and invested in Lion mules. Oh no. Yeah. Oh man. And I think I think that's all I've got on the topic. So um, it's an interesting topic. Good. It's something we haven't discussed before, or at least yeah. gone this deep into. We've like hit it's, on it before a little bit. It's funny because I got asked the other day. I think my mom asked me about that. She's like, "If you had to buy a new house, would you sell your guns?" I'm like, "No, I have enough equity in the house. I could pay for the down payment on my new house. Why would I sell my cool shit?" <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's all the boring yeah. stuff that lets you lets you do cool stuff like this mm-hmm. right? it's just it's the fundamentals that you know again right like and it's it's scalable by income and it might take you a long time and so being patient and content with what you're buying is important yeah. right i couldn't i couldn't buy i couldn't buy any gun when i was selling my plasma to buy gas money you know or to for gas money like but i could watch youtube and learn about them and and then eventually you can buy guns so you can watch get your fundamentals down everything. and then uh, the hobby gets better what'd you say Aaron? sorry Aaron. i said you could watch danny just acquire everything yeah 
Oh, look, I'm going to a gun show. Here's a really rare Honduran M1917 contract rifle. Yeah. What is this, guys? Fuck you, Danny. Yeah. What are you doing this weekend? I'm putting injectors in a fucking dump truck yeah. so that I can buy shit. That's what here's, I'm doing. here's the second 43M that I found for yeah. under $500. <laughs> oh, I don't know what this is. Why should I buy it? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm uh, there. Are, there are two gun shows this weekend. I'm going to one on Friday. It's one of those weird Friday gun shows that opens up at noon, and then there's another show. Tomorrow. Yeah, but people won't know this is Thursday. We're yeah, recording true. this. Yeah. We'll he, say, hey, everybody! But, uh, Thursday, Star Wars Day. It's Today's May the fourth. Yeah, That's why he's Thursday. wearing the man to the Dadalorian shirt. Dadalorian. Yeah, um, we are actually so, East Coast, 15 minutes from Friday because it's that late. Oh. There, yeah, there you go. Who saw that uh, real time? Yeah. Central time is best time zone. Central, yeah. <laughs> I'm from Iowa originally, so Midwest has my heart. Oh man. I thought I thought I could tell. I thought I could I could feel a little Midwest on you. Like oh so. you bet. You betcha. Uh <laughs> went to law school in Nebraska. So it's uh just did the Midwest circuit. Were you and, a uh, corn husker? Yeah. Allegedly. Um, that's what uh, that's what they told me anyway. <laughs> that's what they are is the corn huskers. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, uh, I got a little little story time. So a friend of mine called me up two days ago about the sh- the show on Saturday. He's going to meet me there, but he's like, so his his uncle was a World War II veteran, and his uncle was helping an old lady move out of her house, and her uh, deceased husband brought back a bunch of stuff from World War II. And so there's it's this old World War II veteran helping this lady move out of her house that has stuff from World War II. And she's like, hey, I got this stuff over here. And he, he recognizes these little, uh, little, a little skull um, and uh, some, other, some other other little like German things. But that little skull turned out to be the, uh, an, an SS uh, skull cap made by, uh, made by Zimmerman, I think. And uh, he didn't know it at the time when he bought it, but it has these two little metal prongs that are folded in on the back. And he noticed there's fabric in there. But when he got it home, he pulled the fabric out with tweezers, and it's like a perfect SS Arm Eagle. It's like perfect in in bullion and everything. Yeah. It's uh, it's an officer's sleeve eagle. uh, I don't know. He could argue that, but typically they're called officers one. Let's not split hairs. It's 12 o'clock. Okay. All right. Anywho, but he but he found some he found some some flags. He found a Kriegs flag and a party flag, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'll give you these for what I for what I paid for them if you want them." So we're gonna meet him on uh, meet him on Saturday, and hopefully get a couple of flags. I'll post them in the, the in the Discord if I pick them up. He was like, "They're super wrinkly." He's like, "I'm pretty sure these were like stuffed into something for sixty years, like in a in a in a box for sixty years or whatever." But mm. excited about some flags um, and whatever whatever else he found, but. Uh, should be a good show. It's a it's a collector show. The Kansas City Collectors Association, I think, is the name of it. Something like that. Kansas City Military. Something like that. On uh, this Saturday. Speaking of investments and Discord, uh, this is a plug that everybody should join the Millstrip World Discord because it is the best money saving thing you will ever buy if you're in this hobby. Because uh, the knowledge and kindness of everybody there is going to make your ability at a show to just like snap a picture and send it to the group. And people will be like, that's a $2,000 gun that they're selling for 500. You should buy that gun. Uh, yes. It's a, yeah, that's a good, it's amazing. 
that's a good perk of yeah, being on the Discord. And you have to join the Patreon to uh, to be in the Discord. Um, so uh, so yeah, that's a good. Thank you, thank you. That's a good plug to to help out the podcast. If you want to uh, donate some money on the Patreon, uh, just message me. And I'll send you a link directly because I don't like put out public links anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, join, send me a message on Patreon. I'll send you the link. Um, cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, Michael. Thanks for sharing the uh, the 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 not financial financial advice. Wait. How do I, what's the disclaimer? It's not financial advice, but suggestion. It's advice. It's financial yeah. suggestions. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on, man. I'm glad I'm glad we could have you on. Yeah, thanks thanks again, guys, for having me. This is a it's a it's super fun to 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 be on, and it's a great group to be a part of. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Bye.